Hey, ladies and gentlemen, before we get started with the show today, um, we want to take a minute to recognize actual world terrors and not the silly ones that uh, will blossom forth in this episode. The Ukrainian crisis has become a heavy thought on many minds across this country and across the world. And the Ballyhoo wants to do its part in trying to provide information as to how one can assist the Ukrainian people during this terrible time for them. In the show description, you will find links to several different organizations that will provide assistance and relief to those who are needing it at this very horrendous and tragic time. Obviously, a few links is not going to change the entire scope of the crisis, uh, but hopefully it can provide some assistance. And within the spirit of our subject today, Jack, who gave everything and almost all of his energy to making the world better, whether financially or through humor, the Ballyhoo would like to take that lesson in stride and provide what assistance it can by providing that information. Hopefully, with these links, there can be assistance towards a better tomorrow for the Ukrainian people. But again, it's not going to be the solution to everything, but hopefully it does its part. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and now on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast contains coarse language, strong thematic themes, talk of history and context, terrible imitations of Hollywood figures, and an unbashed love of Hollywood's golden age. It also contains the ramblings of an unstable dork who has too much time on his hands. Listener discretion is advised. And now, on with the program. Okay, Zach, you're on the air. Yesteryear, Ballyhoo, review. I'm going to say, I have something on my mind. Oh, yes, yes. Now, fellas, beginning next week, we'll have to do our rehearsing at Warner Brothers because I'm starting my new picture there. You know, the one I'm making with Alexis Smith. Oh, is that the horn blows at midnight? Yes, that's the title. And, oh, boy, just wait till you see it. It's a fantasy. You know, I'm a sort of an angel like Gabriel. And in the picture, I come down to Earth to blow a trumpet and destroy the whole world. You can do that with your violin. <laughs> I'm not playing a violin. I blow a horn. That's where the title comes from. The horn blows at midnight. Wait a minute, Jackson. Where'd you ever learn to blow a horn? Oh, it's easy. Sure, he just puts it up to his mouth and lets the air out of his head. <laughs> I do not. Anyway, when I get to Earth, I lose my angelic powers, and that's when I meet Alexis Smith. In the picture, her name is Elizabeth, and my name is Nathaniel. My name is Hassenpfeffer. <laughs> Dennis, don't interrupt me when I'm trying to explain something. Now, where was I? You were letting the air out of your head. Jack, <laughs> yeah, there's the Warner Brothers lot. Oh, yes. Rochester, turn up that driveway, will you? Yes, sir. Gee, the lot is pretty full. 
Well, here's a space right in the middle. Park here, Rochester. Okay. Yeah, they must be making a cowboy picture. Well, somebody better tell them this ain't the stagecoach. The last one went through the radiator. Say, you're right. It's that parking attendant over there. Hey, mister, what's the big idea of shooting at us? You took the space reserve for Mr. Jack Warner. Oh, yes. He always was touchy about that. But look, fella, I'm Jack Benny, and I've got an appointment with... Jack Benny? Yes. The one that starred in The Horn Blows at Midnight? That's right. I did that for Warner Brothers 15 years ago. Did you see it? See it? I directed it. <laughs> well, of course, Herman. I didn't recognize you. You've gotten thin. Yeah, yeah, thin. <laughs> but, Herman, I can't understand it. You were doing so well. How come they've got you out here on the parking lot? How come? All my life, I wanted to be a director. For years, I studied and starved trying to learn the profession. Every little job they put me on, I, I did with perfection. And finally, they noticed me. I became an assistant director. I was on my way up. No. Suddenly, I was a director. Yeah. Everything I did was right. I was turning out hit after hit. I had money, respect. I even won an Oscar. And you came along. You were that lousy horn blows at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. Why? Why did you have to come into my life? I used to direct pictures. Now I'm directing traffic. Herman, put down that gun. What do you care? I'm pointing it at myself. He's a... He's a complete wreck. I feel sort of responsible. Oh, Rochester. Yes, boss? Let Herman park the car and give him a dime tip. <laughs> Come on, Mary. I don't want to keep Mr. Warner waiting. Yeah, I've been walking for about 40 minutes now. I'm kind of tired. I think I'll walk across the street and get on a bus for home. Fine birthday. Hey. Look at this theater marquee. Now playing The Horn Blows at Midnight. <laughs> I, I guess they're running it again on account of the Academy Awards. <laughs> I, think I'll, I think I'll go and see it again. Uh, pardon me, miss. I see you're showing The Horn Blows at Midnight. That's right. How's business? Uh, Look, mister, if this is a hold-up, you're wasting your time. We haven't sold a ticket all week. <laughs> this isn't a hold-up, and give me a ticket. Here's the money. Here's a ticket and a knife. A knife? You'll have to cut your way through the brush. <laughs> Never mind. Just give me the ticket so I can go in.
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Many great sights await inside the Picture Palace of the past, and we have plenty of ways to talk about the things inside. So hurry and get your seats. Tonight, the Ballyhoo goes back to the world of Jack Benny. Yes, I know you're tired of hearing of it, but too fucking bad. This is my show. Anyway, I am going to take you down the final road he took in a starring vehicle. That's right. We are going to talk about a bad movie. Perhaps the mother of all bad movies that isn't Plan 9 from Outer Space or Manos, The Hands of Fate. We are, of course, going to be going all the way up to heaven and then coming all the way back down to Earth to blow a trumpet at midnight. Oh, wait, we got thrown off course. You mean we're going to have to learn what it is to be human and then find a way to still blow that horn at midnight? Oh, well, I guess that's what happens when you descend into 1945's Raoul Walsh picture the horn blows at midnight. So see the show and stay behind for a discussion to delight the earbuds. Yes, who is it? Just me, Dolores Moran. I've been wondering, Alexis. So many men have made love to you. Charles Boyer, Betty Barr, Cheryl Flynn, Humphrey Bogart. Who thrills you the most? You'd never guess. I just finished a love scene with him, and he's wonderful. Who? No. You mean he's actually primitive? Am I going to play hard to get? Maybe it's I who should make you culture. I who should forget my foolish pride. Emmanuel, I love you. Emmanuel. Hello, folks. So, this is the girl you said looked quite ordinary. Well, you see, it was dark when we met. They don't interest me. Not eight girls or nine girls. Ten beautiful girls, you say? Hold me tight, crush me. I love you, Emmanuel. Elizabeth, I wasn't doing anything. They weren't doing anything. No, she was doing it all. But you know what you're doing? You're driving me right into the hot girdle business. I can never be cool. There's a fire burning in my veins. I don't deserve you. I'm a weakling, that's what I am. That's right, Nathaniel. Well, you don't have to agree so fast, do you? That happens every time. Now that you've seen the show, we will get to the talk of the day. Yes, in 1945, Jack's final starring vehicle was released into the world and thus became the butt of so many jokes on his radio and television program. Yet the production of this film has relatively zero to none information about it until recently. And what's more, the reputation of this film is not as notorious as Jack would make it out to be. In fact, there are many people out in the world who enjoy this 
frothy, light, ridiculous, nonsensical movie. And we have one of those people with us today to talk about The Horn Blows at Midnight. She is a podcaster and a dear, dear friend of this show, even with having been on it. She's just been a friend. You know why? Because... (laughs) If it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't be here talking about this very movie with you today and with her. Please welcome to the show, Cheryl Jones. Hey, it's good to be here. <laughs> Cheryl. <laughs> so let's 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 play open book time. Uh, okay. years, years ago, mm-hmm. um, you were uh, running a show called Movies Made Me. Yep. And you had me on. And this mm-hmm. film came up in our discussion. There are other things that came up in that discussion, too. Not the least of which was talking about old time radio and our love of old time radio. Yes. And now years later, I have started doing this show. That conversation sparked off my desire to not be ashamed of talking about this stuff. Of course, you should never be ashamed of it. <laughs> regardless of what your interest is, as long as it's one that doesn't harm anybody, uh, never be ashamed of your various and sundry interests in this life. Exactly. And that co- <laughs> that combined with Secret History of Hollywood and my work on Real Nerds Podcast, there was a big conglomeration of things for me to be able to start my own program and share my passion with the world. And specifically with my passion of Jack Benny, because another thing that you rekindled was my love of Leonard Malton. And last year I got to be able to talk with him at a panel on Jack Benny, which is still a very surreal thing. (laughs) Yes, I watched that and it was pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like I've talked about Jack Benny with you. I I had Leonard Moulton on my show once briefly just to talk about, you know, I think we talked for like six minutes or something, but it was amazing to do that. But for you to get to actually combine the two, how awesome is that? (laughs) Yeah, it it might be um, even more than you think because as of now, this may or may not stay in the episode. If it does, that's great. But mm-hmm. I am currently working on the next upcoming Jack Benny convention in February. Um, and we have booked him. Uh, it's nice. up to me to come up with a panel. And I think I've come up with a panel that will cater to his interesting animation. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, that will be fun. But let's get to you. Um, All right. Before we talk about the horn blows at midnight, I want the Ballyhoo audience to get to know Cheryl a little bit. Um, What is your history with golden age Hollywood and podcasting for that matter? Oh gosh. Uh, Well, golden age of Hollywood. I mean, I like everybody I've seen, I I grew up watching, you know, all kinds of movies. So I I did see a lot of mostly comedies, you know, Golden Age of Hollywood stuff would have been, you know, Marx Brothers and and all the great comedians of the era, the silent films as well, going way back. But uh, that was stuff I was raised watching uh, whenever it was on television. And then, you know, Jack Benny coming to him through uh, we used to go camping and my dad was a big fan of the old radio shows and had a lot of them uh, that he taped. And so every night when we went to bed in our camping trailer, he would put on one of these tapes and we'd listen to like a half hour old radio show, all different kinds. Sometimes there were scary ones, uh, which aren't the best to go to sleep to, but most often it was Jack Benny. And uh, that's how I really came to appreciate him and really love him. And and so then branching off to watch him in the movies that he did as well uh, was pretty awesome. You know, I loved all of those. Um, and yeah, podcasting, 
sometimes I forget how it is that I came to even know that podcasting existed, but uh, <laughs> luckily I remember. Luckily I remember this time. Uh, it was while I I moved to England in 2012, and while I was over there, I was just there for a year studying, and while I was there. I was just looking for a way to connect with home and a couple of uh, radio DJs that I loved in LA, they had retired from the air and one of them started a podcast with someone else. And so I was listening to that on a daily basis just to kind of have a familiar voice in my ears while I was 5,000 miles away from home. And that's the first time I ever listened to a podcast, especially regularly. And so uh, at some point after I came home, I just had this idea because I had had a movie that really heavily influenced everything I had done in my life since seeing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I thought, oh, well, other people must have experiences with movies that influenced them to be who they are. And so and I started looking at more that it influenced me. And then that's what led me to the idea of the podcast. Now, right, I'll do a podcast with no idea how to do it. Nobody. I didn't know a single soul who was a podcaster at that time. Now virtually everyone I know is a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> at least it seems that way. And uh, yeah, so that was how I came to do it. And I did that show for five years and decided to end it on its fifth anniversary in March of 2020 mm-hmm. with the intent of starting a new show a month later. And then everything just went to hell in the world, as we all know. And so uh, at some point I will start the new show, but in the meantime, I, I am on a show. I co-host one called it's on my list where we watch the movies. You can't believe we've never seen. So the, and the, so- the, the proverbial, which uh, for, full disclosure, I don't believe this phrase actually exists because you shouldn't feel guilty about it or anything, but your list of shame is what like, yes. yeah. Yeah. More or less. And some of the movies, cause we all, all there are five of us on the show and we all have put like movies on our list. We have a master list that we work from and some of them are movies that we love that we think everybody else should see in their life. And then others are movies that are just have been blind spots for us that we know we should have seen and we never have. And it's embarrassing that we haven't. So some of the stuff we cover is, you know, important stuff like the apartment and uh, gosh, now I can't even think of what we've done. That's a big one, but we've done uh, uh, Sunset Boulevard, hmm. you know, films like that. And then others are things, usually ones that I throw on there, like car wash, you know, it's not, it's not a movie everyone necessarily needs to see. It's not a great movie, but it's a movie I love that I think other people will enjoy. They didn't, in fact, but... <laughs> I object. I think everybody should watch Car Wash. I do think... I personally believe so, yes. Yes, but... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we do have some fun ones in there, you know? <laughs> well, that's, that's good because, like, and especially, like, I feel like Golden Age of Hollywood in particular has a lot of a lot of titles that end up on people's quote unquote list of shame, which again, it's a, yes, yes. It's a phrase that shouldn't exist because frankly, you get, um, I, I, I belong to a film club where we talk about, we we've talked about this before, where when you get to the movie, you get to the movie when you're supposed to get to the movie. There's no right, like, exactly. there's no deadline because ideally at least 99.9% of these movies still exist for us to enjoy. Yes. Um, and somehow the horn blows at midnight, stayed in existence to survive (laughs) (laughs) barely i think because you can't find it streaming anywhere there there was a time where you could and that's why i was confused as to why we couldn't find it for you and then we got we figured out the dvd situation but 
Yeah, which is not a great, it's not a great DVD transfer. It's no. very uh, shaky and jumpy and it has a few weird edits. And But, you know, it's what it is. And it's still, it's not like, it's not like it ruins the movie. It's already a pretty bad movie. So yeah. So <laughs> that's the so, matter. <laughs> so here's the, here's the, here's the biting question. And I'll answer my, ver my, my side of this too. But how did you find out about this movie? Or more appropriately, because Jack joked about it, when did you decide to seek out this movie? <laughs> oh, gosh, I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I, I know the first time I saw it, I was fairly young. Uh, and I don't know whether it just happened to come on TV once. Because, uh, you know, when I was young was not a time when you could watch a movie streaming. And we didn't and there were no DVDs yet. So it had to have just been on television at some point. And because it was Jack Benny, I watched it. Probably my dad tuned it in or something. Uh, and I think... Honestly, the reason that I fell in love with it was purely for the set piece at the end. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's like the number one thing in this movie for me. Well, that and you told me back on the show that I was on years ago that it's it's a good New Year's movie, which is right. It is yeah. a New Year's Eve yeah. movie. Which it is. There are kind of like a dearth of those around and maybe maybe there's a good reason why if these are the examples that we have, but Right, right. And it's not technically New Year's in it, right? It's it's just that it's just midnight. It's, it's midnight. It's a it's a midnight thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like here's here's a full confession to you and the audience. I don't actually hate this movie. No, I quite no. I quite enjoy it. But the problem is is that objectivity has to be observed in some cases. And in the case of the horn blows at midnight, the reputation that Jack set up for it on his radio show. And even in his autobiography that Joan published, you, he, he would, he said most famously, this is neither an a picture nor a B picture. We don't know what letter grade to give it. <laughs> Milt Josephsberg in his book talks about how horrendous this film is. Pretty much anybody <laughs> who wrote about Jack writes about how terrible this film is. Now, keeping in mind that the majority of Jack books out there are written by people who were in Jack's sphere. So right. that's that's kind of where the bias sets in. And um, there were some there was there was a real hesitation for me to do this initially before I reached out to you because Initially, I thought, well, we're just going to make fun of this movie and try to figure out how in the world this got made, right. which is obviously a job for another podcast or two out there that exist. So what I decided to do was try to find a little bit more out about the film. Now, for people who don't know, I have been working on a book about Jack Benny's film career, which seems like the most useless book that will ever be written in history. <laughs> I'll but, read it. <laughs> I, well, and here's the thing. I thought that it would be a good critical essay at the very least. Yeah. As it turns out, there's a lot of stuff that happened in Jack's film career that tells a very interesting story. And right. the the Horton Blows at Midnight in particular has such a production story that I was able to trace through looking back at Variety's archives. Variety, the showbiz magazine, one of the two big Bibles out there at the time, you'd either have that or The Hollywood mm -hmm. Reporter. It's one of those two. Right. Yeah. Now... Before we do that really quickly, I will tell you the first time I saw this film was through Laura Leibowitz um, at the uh, with the International Jack Mini Film Club. We got up. Uh, she she was able to give me a copy of the movie at a very young age. I watched it. I giggled. I thought that set piece is ridiculous. 
Um, I thought the idea of Dallas was incredibly hilarious because of Jack's cheapskateness, not knowing what dollars right. are. It's, right. It actually is a very good joke. Yeah. Um, but, but as I grew older, the movie became one where I would say to people like, no, 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 no. Like, I know I'm a Jack Benny fan, but just trust me. This movie you need to watch if you like MST3K, if you like Rift Tracks. <laughs> this is a movie that how they've never done it really yeah. baffles me. I know that part of it is that Warner Brothers still holds on to this property, surprisingly, with a tight grip. Because you can get a copy on DVD through Warner Archive. And mm-hmm. there was a time when you could get this movie... Uh, through Amazon Prime Video before they started doing the um, uh, uh, the subscription service for Warner Archive that no longer exists now. I can't remember what they what it was called, but suffice it to say, this movie has managed to stay in a conversation at the very least for Benny fans. Now, at the time that it came out, though, it kind of disappeared almost as quickly as it came. And I thought, for whatever reason, this must be just because the bad reception combined with poor box office, it means it just disappears. Well, I'm not going to make any declarative statements because this is still hypothesis. But what I'm about to tell you is the story of the production of this film. And this is stuff that you're this is stuff that I wasn't able to find initially on Wikipedia or IMDb. This is stuff that I had to look up. And I had to sift through several different issues of variety to get to this. So we're going to start here uh, on on May 25th, 1943. Um, there's a casting snag on rolling the horn blows at midnight. As no player has been found to play the title role in Will Rogers, Mark Hellinger, who is set to produce this Will Rogers biopic, will instead roll, uh, take over the task of putting on the horn blows at midnight, starring Jack Benny into production Latter film to go in production in early July. So Mark Hellinger is the key producer on this film. Mark Hellinger is a gentleman who stemmed off of the Warner Brothers stock, making his name within the gangster mold. Now, in 1943, on July 8th, the film is postponed for two months due to Benny's European camp tours. As we talked about, Jack went on tour. He was touring the different camps around the California area to entertain men and women overseas uh, men and women in the army in the armed forces sorry i'm stepping over my words today um Mm -hmm. now on september 15th benny is due back and now expected in hollywood from his north america north african entertainment trip in november to start the mark hellinger production in october he arrives in new york to start production the next day now a couple months go by there's some natural delays uh, on the 10th of, of November, we have Guy Kibbe officially joining the cast. Um, Raoul Walsh is signed on as director six days prior. Uh, on November 26th, we have a full announcement of when everything is supposed to start. Production is supposed to start November 26th with a cast that includes Jack Benny, Alexis Smith, Guy Kibbe, Reginald Gardner, Doris, Dolores Moran, Alan Joslin, etc., on the 3rd of December, we have a report of Jack Standin wearing 8-inch razors in his shoes to, 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 to be the stand-in for Jack. Then, on December 8th, Jack is bedded with an attack of laryngitis, but expects to be back to work the next day. Now, 
stop here for a second. When people were given the diagnosis of laryngitis, it didn't always mean laryngitis. Sometimes right. it meant, amongst other things, somebody was in bed with something worse or a scandal happened. Now, since we're uh-huh. talking about Jack, this is a sickness. This isn't a scandal. Right, right. Um, <laughs> we're talking about a gentleman who has virtually no skeletons in his closet. Right. Um, now, two days later, the report via Variety reads, Colds muffle Warner's horn, with Jack Benny <laughs> suffering laryngitis and Dolores and other cast members battling colds. They're just calling it colds now. Warner's right. last night decided to lay off production on The Horn Blows at Midnight until Monday to allow patients to recover. Producer Mark Hellinger and director Ral Walsh figured the layover weekend would be insurance against possible delays later. Four days later, Warner's has resumed production following the recovery of Benny, Dolores Moran, and Alexis Smith from flu attacks over the weekend. Picture was suspended Friday to allow Trio to recuperate. So we move from colds to flu. Right. Now, two days later, wear masks on set. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So starting to feel familiar. Now, this is a section section from a larger article from December 16th, 1943, talking about how a flu epidemic is hitting the movie industry. And I will pull up that article in a second, but for Hornblows at Midnight's sake... On the set of The Horn Blows at Midnight at the Valley Studio, visitors expect working press have been except working press have been barred and players are wearing gauze masks during rehearsals to lessen chances of infection. Also being used are throat sprays and other nostrums as step to prevent closing of the picture, shut down last week because of cast illness. On the same lot, Barbara Stanwyck is still out of my reputation. Other Valley Studios, Republic and Universal, are still lightly affected in epidemic, but total number of backlog workers on sick list cannot be tallied until time card checkup on those absent. Universal player Samuel S. Hines is bedded at home with the flu bug, as is Joe Lawler of the publicity department. Republic's MJ Siegel studio head has been out for a week, and Roy Rogers is just beginning to recover from his flu attack. So, wow. let's stop there. Cheryl. What have we been through the last year? The flu, apparently. No, 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 no. We've, We've been... been through masks and people out sick. And right now, as we speak, we're going through so much of it. Yeah, of things just running rampant through crews of all kinds. Yeah. And I know that you're still in the California area where this stuff is being more affected than certainly out here in Colorado. Um, And I, to me, when I hear about the millions of dollars that were lost over the last year and a half through COVID, you, the, my first impression was, well, we've, the film industry has never had this happen before. Then you kind of learn about the 1918 pandemic. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, but it's still a nation film industry then, right? We're not quite as much production as now. Yeah. Or at least not yeah, as big. Yeah. Now, but the but the thing that I didn't realize is that the LA area had a flu epidemic yeah. in 1943. No, I didn't know that either. <laughs> and this is this is where things got interesting is so the remainder of that article as it stands says that as mild form of Influenza currently causing heavy absenteeism among Southern California industries verges on epidemic proportions. 
Hollywood studios report costly delays to production and schedules and normal working procedures. Many key department workers, named talent, and executives are bedded at home and in hospitals, upsetting filming on a number of pictures. Mostly severe hit, so most severely hit to date, according to check of the studios yesterday, is Warner's, where about 10% of personnel, 300 persons, is reported on the sick list. Of, of this number, 37% of the stenographic department is out. Precautionary measures are being adopted in all plants to prevent, as far as possible, further spread of flu and heavy colds. Warner's commissary yesterday started the use of paper cups instead of glasses as pre precaution. So some of the stuff that the film industry has had to adopt over the last year and change happened yep. once before. Yeah, now it's wild. It's now here's going to be the other kicker and I'm going to have to show you the photograph afterward. There's a picture of Jack rehearsing with a gauze mask on. Wow. Yes. Yeah, I, I want to see that for sure. Yeah, I sent <laughs> I sent this information out and I received that photograph back. And wow. that to me, this whole information to me tells me that right away, the goal of this show is to talk about how Golden Age Hollywood influences the films of today, but also what lessons can we learn from past, whether it's production, behavior, um, uh, context within historical regard, whether it's sexism or racism. This is like th the most in-your-face lesson I could possibly come up with. <laughs> right? Ever. Who knew? Ever. Who knew? I certainly didn't. That's the thing. No. I, I th there are other figures that include Columbia having 3% of its personnel absent for the past few days as of December 16th, 4% of Metro or slightly less, and additional uh, places that are hit include Paramount and RKO with about 5% of their personnel absent. From this now, in January, on the tenth, the headline reads: "Flu costs studios millions in delays." So yeah. there is an uptick of loss in the millions. Which, putting that in perspective on an inflation calendar, I'm not going to say it hits the same numbers that we that we're dealing with now, but that's a chunk of change. Yeah, it is. Yeah, a, a million is a chunk of change now. Keeping in mind, we are talking about one of many productions hit by this. This isn't right. the only one to do it. However, what follows in the production of The Horn Blows at Midnight doesn't help <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> so on the 8th of February in 1944, Benny Wine's chore on WB Horn Blows, Jack Benny wound up his scenes in The Horn Blows at Midnight at Warner's yesterday and checked off the lot. Then on March 8th, Benny signs another contract to do more work with Warner Brothers in July. They said that he is currently slated for an overseas tour to entertain soldiers. He will check in for a new picture in July. That does not happen. Right. On September 20th, 1944, Variety then says, Jack will finish blowing horn at WB. He will report back for the next two, within the next two weeks of production that had been suspended in order to make his overseas USO trip possible. So this film stopped and started and stopped and started and stopped and started. Right, right. And now, granted, when Variety gets a story, sometimes they're being fed the updates as best as they can, and they're sussing it out. Right. Now, Benny has a lot of traction in these Variety reports, and it was my always my understanding that Benny's 
film career was of no great import. But as Kathy Fuller Seeley talked about, not just at that Benny panel, but in her book, Benny was a number one box office attraction for a lot mm-hmm. of years. So yeah. he was capable of getting this kind of coverage. Now, we don't really get another report until March 26, 1945, where The Horn Blows at Midnight is now set to be shown at a trade show by Warners nationally on April 12th. Um, and then the movie would get a release at the latter part of April. Um, this is where we kind of stop for a second, and we're going to just talk about this plot. Because, <laughs> Cheryl, I'm wondering if you if you are able to, because in order for me to do it, I have to talk about some details, but can you sum up The Horn Blows at Midnight for an audience? Uh, I'll try. <laughs> uh... It has a little, the thing that I found really interesting that I didn't really realize before is it has a little bit of a Wizard of Oz thing going on. But uh, so, yeah, Jack Benny is Nathaniel. He is a a trumpet player in an orchestra. He's terrible. Uh, that's a running thing with him with instruments, right? Yeah. So uh, he's terrible, but he's in this radio show orchestra and uh, he it's designed, it's a show designed to put you to sleep. Uh, (laughs) like literally that's what it's for late night show. And so in the course of doing the show, he falls asleep in the orchestra in, and then we go into his dream where he is an angel in heaven and is, uh, also not very good at that in an orchestra, giant (laughs) orchestra, there, heavenly orchestra and is tasked with taking, you know, a special trumpet (laughs) down to earth where he must play that trumpet at precisely midnight to bring on Armageddon, to bring on the Judgment Day. Uh, and hilarity ensues. Uh, Does it, as, though? Yeah, well, the DVD on the top says, very funny, with three exclamation points. It's not attributed to a critic or anyone. It just says, very, very funny. funny. So they're hopeful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so and there are two uh, previous angels who've been sent down who are now fallen angels because they did not complete the task. And they have uh, taken to enjoying life as humans and living it up uh there and uh they try to uh they realize what Nathaniel is there for they try to waylay him which they do for a night and so he has to try again the next night he get manages to get another chance uh elizabeth another angel who loves him uh comes down to help and uh yeah they are trying to uh get away from the fallen angels who are trying to waylay them and blow that horn at midnight uh and that's yeah. that's pretty much it yeah <laughs> yeah so and it just sort of it just sort of ends <laughs> yeah it just sort of ends so like within that we can talk about some details first of all you talked about the 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 paradise coffee program like let's let's get yes, radio historian yes. on this i i wrote down his entire commercial Oh, <laughs> gentle, nice. gentle people, it's 15 minutes before midnight, and Paradise Coffee, the coffee that is heavenly, brings you sleepy time music. And why? Because Paradise Coffee makes you sleep. Ah, yes. Blessed sleep, that sleep you always miss so much when you are awake, <laughs> because you aren't <laughs> sleepy. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> just, just talking about depression. <laughs> First, you pour paradise gently in the waiting cup. 
then perhaps a dash of cream to lend that pearly, glimmering tint, then add sugar to taste. Ah, 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 not too much. And the sip, your paradise coffee, and sleep. Indeed, paradise coffee is heavenly, for it makes you sleep contentedly, peacefully, as if in the arms of angels. You could sleep on a billowy cloud, drifting through the majestic nothingness of infinity. <laughs> <laughs> listening to a celestial symphony that lulls your earthly cares away. It's paradise. It's heavenly. I want to stop right there. The majestic nothingness of infinity. First of all, is the subtitle of this episode. But second yeah, of, of all, in what world is a coffee company allowed to bring up an existential crisis of that magnitude? <laughs> In what world does coffee make you sleepy? I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, you, well, here, I, I, this isn't necessarily bringing it into the modern world, but you remember in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the um, uh, the the teacher who comes in and goes like, guys, I just switched to Sanka, so have a heart. Right. So non-caffeinated, <laughs> Sanka could have done it just yes, fine. instant coffee, yeah. Yeah, but then he becomes an angel, and we're whisked into this the CGI right. Wonderland, Every, except it's yes. not a CGI Wonderland. No, and everything that 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 was said in that ad is what becomes his dream world, like yes. angels and clouds, and yeah, and a, a, a heavenly symphony uh, made of cardboard yeah. people, made of cardboard yes. people. That, Which uh, you have to admit is pretty impressive, though. It, right? it is. I oh mean, yeah. <laughs> the only like, and and I bring that up is the only reason you can notice it is because while the print isn't that good. DVD upres on a 4K TV isn't that bad. And right. Warner Brothers, for all for any mistakes they might make, they, they take good care of their prints for the most part. Right. Yeah. The, you can see the still heads because of the 4K. And you can watch <laughs> the movement literally looking like it's the, the modern equivalent of this is honestly like CGI replacement for crowds, like crowd replacement right. to right. fill in extra spots. Um, right. And that's when Jack as a Thaniel gets this call from the lead angel played by Kai Givy, the chief. Mm -hmm. And he gets this news from his girlfriend, angel girlfriend, Elizabeth played by Alexis Smith. And he is sent down to earth to destroy humanity and the world by right. blowing a horn at midnight. It, the already we've talked about like the plot of two different movies mashed into one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the, the writers of this film, Sam Hellman and James V. Kern, are the two key ones. James Jim Jim Kern did end up becoming one of the house directors on the I Love Lucy show and directing My Three Sons. This is wow. a guy who was a stock workman. He ended up actually directing parts of the Jack Benny program when it entered television in 1950. Mm -hmm. So even if Jack didn't like working on this, he clearly knew people that he would want to carry over down the line because Kern started as a writer with movies like That's Right, You're Wrong. If I had my way, you'll find out. The 1941 feature with Bergen and McCarthy, Look Who's Laughing. Thank Your Lucky Stars. His last written film is Never Say Goodbye. He, he was a workhorse. I feel like this film is comprised of workhorse people with the exception of Raoul Walsh. Now, do you know, do you have any experience with Raoul Walsh outside of this movie that you're aware of? 
uh, well, I know I, I have looked him up a number of times to see what else he's done. And I know there were things that made me go, oh, really? And then I forget it immediately. It's so weird. So I don't remember what it was he's done. White Heat, The Roaring Twenties. Okay, yeah. High Sierra. Yeah. He is he is known as an action director and primarily solidifying the gangster genre. What's interesting is that he did a lot of comedies, too, especially at Paramount. He had worked with Jack before on the movie Artists and Models. And right. he made a movie called College Swing, which is a great comedy. It's not a perfect comedy. It's not a classic comedy, but it's a great comedy. How you get this, I don't know. <laughs> this seems to me like a film that you get after nobody knows what to do with you. And I think that the consistent thread right, is that nobody right. knows where to put Jack. It's very depressing to watch. <laughs> yes. Well, and it, it really, it doesn't play to his strengths at all. No. You know, it's, it's a very surface level movie. That's kind of like anybody could have played this role. It doesn't really matter that it's Jack Benny. Yeah. And there's been a discussion point in Marx Brothers discussions on this show where the Marx Brothers at a certain point are placed into comedies that don't fit them either, but they're fitting a broader comedy bill that had been assembled by the 40s by most of the studios. Broad, generic comedies. Every one of them has to have a big set piece. Broad right. slapstick. One thing that can be absolutely certain is that Jack is not good at slapstick. So what do they right. have him do? Slapstick. <laughs> right. And a lot of that is thrust into the moment he drops down to earth because he's hanging off of buildings trying to save Doris, Dolores Moran. He's right. trying to get back his horn from Robert Blake, which if I were him, I'd stay as far away from that child <laughs> right. as possible. Right. You, yeah, That's we a, know some things. And <laughs> you want to go back in time going like, don't piss off that kid. Just let him yeah, have that fucking just... trumpet. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the moment I the moment I got old enough and I looked more into Robert Blake and then saw that 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 factoid, I'm like, oh, ew. <laughs> yes, yes, I remember that when that whole thing went down and yeah, yeah. Ooh, it, it's like I watching could. Treasure of the Sierra Madre and seeing him in that also and being like, Bogart, don't piss off that kid, just take that gambling ticket and leave. Like right. <laughs> just don't <laughs> don't even push it. Um but within that in the Marx brothers, we have this like solid supporting cast. Mm -hmm. around in us that also play them play different roles in the radio station they're all basically right. in that one setting which is what the wizard of oz aspect of it is is he, these are in his dream the people that are important are all people who we saw at the radio station but my issue is we didn't see them enough to like at least the Wizard of Oz, you get to know the people a little bit. You understand who they are around Dorothy, right? And then you understand why they come into this dream. Whereas there, some of them you see for like thirty seconds. You know, like you just don't, you don't know who they are. You don't know their names. You don't know anything about them. What they're, you know, I mean, you kind of get a relationship, I guess, to them. But it's just, it's such a quick setup that there's no payoff to it once you get there and you say, oh, that's this person, that's that person. You have to actually kind of look for it. Yeah. Be like, watch it again and be like, oh, that was that person. Oh, okay. This is yeah. a good identifying game if you want to play uh, supporting character bingo in yeah. Golden Age Hollywood <laughs> because you have, first of all, you have Dolores Moran who 
her other big claim to fame would have been to have and have not. Um, okay. You have, uh, and she's the violinist. You have Alan Joslin, who is the second trumpeter, but he also plays a sidro. Uh, Alan Joslin was the original Mortimer Brewster on stage for Arsenic and Old Lace, but he was also a a prominent uh, supporting character in movies with films such as Only Angels Have Wings, The Great McGinty. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry I didn't make that connection. That is one of my all-time favorite movies, Only Angels he's, Have Wings. He's near the beginning Amazing. when they're um, when they're uh, trying to hit on Gene Arthur. Okay. He's All the right. one with the thin mustache. He's also okay. in Heaven Can Wait. Um, he's uh-huh. the 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 one uh, the a B picture called It Shouldn't Happen to a Dog. He he did everything. Yeah. Um, and then you have his counterpart Doremus, played by John Alexander, or as he's known in Arsenical Lace, Charge, because he <laughs> plays Cousin Teddy in uh, in Arsenic and Old Lace. On stage and in the movie and in later television adaptations. But he's also the first trumpeter. You have Guy Kibbe as the radio director. He's the chief in heaven. And you have Reginald Gardner is the composer. And he's also the slick gangster Archie Dexter. Who who has the lamest Ocean's Eleven plot going on inside. (laughs) Inside this movie. Just, just, could, yeah. just seducing old ladies for their jewelry. With, uh, I mean, frankly, it's not to throw shade at Dolores Moran, but Fran, her character, is not good at her job. <laughs> like, no. I know that Jack <laughs> is responsible for her not doing her job well, but she's still not good at her job. Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, and then you have Margaret Dumont, uh, the, the uh-huh. legendary Margaret Dumont, as um, Madame Travat- Travit- Travatai. Uh, Tra- Traviata, sorry, Madame yes, Traviata, Traviata, and Mrs. Rod Holder in the park. <laughs> and last but not least, we have Franklin Pangborn as Sloane, the house detective, but also the radio engineer. Franklin Pangborn is the coolest Golden Age of Hollywood <laughs> comic supporting character ever because he will never win. He has the eternal look of somebody having absolutely smacked him around and or insulted his mother. <laughs> I love this film. They have three different moments where he is thinking that he is impressing somebody and then the camera just pushes in on him going, Ugh. like <laughs> that look is just astoundingly funny. Um, and it, but this is a guy that we've talked about in other respects in George Washington slept here and uh, Sullivan's travels. He he's a Newark, New Jersey native. He served for 14 months in the 312th infantry in Europe. He encounters Mildred Holland when he is 17 and led to his first acting job where he's getting paid $12 a week as an extra position. And then he joins Jesse Bonstell's stock company in the thirties. He starts working for short subjects for Max Senate, Hal Roach, Universal, Columbia, and Pathé. He just worked his way up. It's kind yeah. of incredible to just watch him be a constant presence in these films of the past. And I think this is possibly my favorite role that he's in where the movie itself doesn't overshadow him because yeah. <laughs> he's fun enough doing what he's doing. He's just a house detective who's trying to do his job. And what's that? Right. Oh, this angel is just interrupting everything <laughs> and really confounding him with a magic elevator. This elevator is right. 
for people for people who haven't watched it yet, they use the elevator to get down from heaven and it delays the entire lobby. Right, right. And everyone gets very upset every time. Yes. Lady Stover is the most annoyed by this out of any of them. Of course. Well, she's a lady. Yes, yeah, she's a lady. She she doesn't have time to be messing with all this nonsense. And the majority of the plot really is that Jack tries to horn, blow the horn at midnight. He gets sort of distracted by Osidro and Doremus, who are fallen angels, who were sent down to do a job, but were tempted by Earth and just stayed on right. Earth. So it's right. kind of like Dogma but by Kevin Smith, where you have these angels just stuck on Earth and able to enjoy earthly pleasures. Um, yes. But the kind of like alcoholics, every hour they get the twinges. Yes. This is, every, hour, every hour on the half hour, right? It's yes. just an excuse to watch these two shake around like idiots. I right. love it. I love it. I love it. I Pure love it. Pure physical comedy. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, I love how one of them is going like, well, that one was as bad as the last time. Like, <laughs> And meanwhile, he tries to save Fran, who is about to just jump off the building because she failed Archie Dexter. And you almost right. want to shake her going like, look, I know you weren't good at your job there. But you are so much better than a gangster. You can lift yourself out of this. Right. Don't right. jump. And even <laughs> Jack's telling her it's not worth it, but not for the reasons that you'd think. Right. His his whole thing is like if she kills herself, <laughs> she's going to hell. <laughs> because Right. If, you, if she just waits till midnight, it'll yeah, be just... <laughs> fine because she'll die anyway. And she'll go to heaven probably, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Like, she'll have a shot. Whatever's making you cry <laughs> will be over shortly. And Fran right. goes, it will never be over. And Nathaniel goes, oh, yes, it will. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about Jack's one-liners in this movie because he's given some, like, interesting one-liners of, like, somebody's calling for Caesar in the hotel. And he's just like, right. I, oh, I not the Caesar you meant. I got you. Like, Right, he's like Julius. He's like, oh yeah. no, okay, well. <laughs> he's given funny lines, but this character doesn't fit him. He's a little too naive. Right. And we, the one of the elements of this film that we get into is is that when he fails at his job, he goes in with Osidro and Doremus and just kind of hangs out with them for a minute, and right. he tries to, he's trying to basically find a job. They get him a job as a trumpet player in a swing band and he yeah. doesn't understand what him hip improv is or what a hepcat is. Right. <laughs> he, uh, he goes ad libitum ad libitum <laughs> to, for ad lib. <laughs> um, th then by the way, this, this would have been much better if Phil Harris was playing the band leader. Like, Oh sure. If, yes, of course. If you're going to exploit this, just get the, Get the go man all the way. We, yeah, go all the way. We've already made references to Phil in other Jack films that don't have Phil in them. Just right. do it that way. He gets booed out. He actually heads into the street and runs into a guy dressed as an angel, but it's just a guy with an ad for angels with dirty faces around him, right. <laughs> which is it is great just looking at an angel smoking a cigar. Right. <laughs> and then he goes to eat, and he's never eaten before, so John Brown, who was Digger Odell on The Life of Riley is playing mm -hmm. Mr. Poplinski, and he's just giving him virtually all the worst foods for you imaginable. And when he's done, he he asks him for his money, and he goes like, dollars. Dollars? Yes, dollars. Money. Like, So he takes, yeah. the, he takes the horn as collateral for his food bill. It doesn't matter, though, because Elizabeth convinces the chief, hey, 
I'm going to go down there and try to get us to get the job back on track. She goes down and she wins $15 by answering. No, $5. Oh, $5. $5. be crazy. $5, yeah, because of a random radio quiz guy who stops her on the steps of the, uh, yeah, inside the, the hotel, like the most random, like, a, uh, it's a br- how, how are, how are we going to get her to get money? Uh, yeah, that'll work. Sure. Yeah. It's a, and, and the radio quiz host asks a bridge question with the answer being yes. Trump it. <laughs> right. And she wins Clever. and she wins the dollars. She gives the dollars to Jack. But it's too late. Mr. Poplinski has given it to his kid for reasons, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah, his kid exactly. Just, reasons. You give a kid a trumpet that looks that good. You try to sell that at a pawn shop is what you well, do. Especially when you've been holding on to it for like not even a day. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, What's that, Julia? Right. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead and take it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Look. Some guy's coming back for this. You go ahead and take it, though. <laughs> and that, that's when we get him getting to the freaking amusement park. And, right. And keep in mind, while we're. While I'm being frustrated, guys, guess what? I still love this movie. This yes. is the, the Wizard of <laughs> yes. Oz is made for children and adults of all ages. The Horn Blows at Midnight is Wizard of Oz for people who really love bad movies and or want to get high. It's one of those two. <laughs> There's no in between. It's one or the other. And he goes to the the fair. The merry-go-round is playing. The merry-go-round broke down, which is very appropriate. Um, oh. And uh, we see glimpses of Tarzola, the Rocket Man, which comes back into play. He of finds the kid. Does. Yes, this, <laughs> this uh, he plays hide and seek, or he plays uh, find the trumpet with these kids, and <laughs> which just sounds dirty. Yeah, <laughs> this scene is very, very. Uh, uh, ill-guided it's 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 yes. harmless then it's just read weird today and right. I, I would argue you shouldn't be reading it weird anyway but no, no. here it is but it just does yeah. D- deal with it and he bargains for the horn and he called and play the game catch the trumpeter and robert blake says the line if you try and pull a fast one i'll conk you and that sends shivers down my spine um, <laughs> <laughs> margaret dumont means it. yeah he does <laughs> Don't try anything, mister. You have no idea what I'm capable of after you're long <laughs> dead from cancer. Uh, and Dumont finds them, asks what the ruckus is about, but then she falls in a bear trap that Jack already fell into. Jack tries to escape, and he evades capture by becoming Tarzola the Rocket Man. I don't know why. <laughs> yes. This dummy, first of all, doesn't look convincing. Oh, no, I love that's why I love both with the rocket man and then with Jack doing it. I loved how bad it was, like how, yes, completely it was a dummy and not even a good one. Yeah, no, yeah. It, <laughs> they weren't even trying. This no. this screams of, look, we were delayed by a flu epidemic. We were delayed by your popularity on the radio. We're just doing this and we're just going to get a cheap dummy and nobody's going to care because right. who's going to watch fine. this movie in 80 years and do a podcast about it. Certainly right, nobody, nobody, Jack. Crazy. Yeah. Now get in there and then we'll replace you with the dummy so you can take a smoke break, Jack. Um, <laughs> and then we have the the finality of the plot with Dexter basically teaming up with Osidro and, and Doremus to get the horn away from Jack before he can blow it at midnight. It leads into this weird love quadrangle that is totally ill-deserved <laughs> like because Do- Dolores Moran tries to seduce Jack mm-hmm. Dexter tries to seduce Elizabeth played by Alexis Smith 
but Jack is trying to make make up to Elizabeth. And meanwhile, Dolores is not really in love with Jack, but she also feels grateful for having gotten rescued by her. The bottom line is, is that this is treated like an open door farce that doesn't deserve to be. Um, right. With Jack essentially trying to say no means no. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, very, very like, very like matter of factly, like, lady, stop it. I am not interested. Like, it's. <laughs> It's kind of interesting to hear it from that context. You don't really normally right. hear it out of a guy. Um, right, yeah. And While you, she's all over him like you normally see, yeah, and a guy doing to a woman in a movie. And usually that's done for humor with it when it comes to a man, especially. I think today yes. we would treat it very differently. Here right. we have this as this kind of like broad, like open door farce just to get this trumpet. But then we're led to the climax of this film, which is mm -hmm. the Paradise Coffee set piece. Now- this is the most expensive thing in this movie. Of course. Yes, definitely. I want blueprints. I want schematics. <laughs> I, and we had, we've seen it, a small version in the radio studio. So even yes. that is the thing that, yes. And I, I would like to just have the small version even. Oh, oh my God. That would be a really cool like thing to have in your living room. Did, yeah, and then like, you would explain it to people, be like, I, guys, like, I can't even explain it fully, <laughs> but I've got the movie right next to it if you want to watch it. And like, oh, look, here's some weed. Like, you know, like, <laughs> make it enjoyable for them, you know, like, because I, I, I do argue that you could show this movie to people who've never heard of Jack and they'd yeah. still enjoy it on the auspices of it being completely ridiculous. Yes. As long as they know going into it, this is not a good movie. It's not. Yeah. It's not a well-made movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, Just enjoy. It's it, And this happens an hour and nine minutes into this hour and 17-minute movie. This set piece lasts for a good, ah, shoot, I want to say, like, right up into the last minute of this movie. So we're talking, yeah. like, a solid, like, seven minutes. Yeah. And it's so elaborately structured. And, like, and it's beautiful from a certain perspective, like, any other actor, any other performer you'd get into this, like, it'd be cool to watch another actor do this, do this, like, <laughs> this weird, like, little Augustus Gloop tube that takes people through. <laughs> like, this literally was pure imagination before pure imagination was a thing on right. the screen. It, yeah, you can't help, when you see it, you can't help but think of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I... Well, I mean, and before it, you have this, this moment where they're all everybody's kind of falling over the edge of this building down toward this set piece and they're all holding on to each other and swinging wildly. And all I could think of at that point was it's a mad, 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 mad world. And yes. like the, the, uh, the fire ladder. Yes. Yes. Uh, see, but yeah, but, but it doesn't like, actually what's funny. Here's something that might, maybe this will spark a debate between us. I don't know. Cause I love it's a mad, mad, mad world. <laughs> Um, yes, I, I did a too. I did an entire like three and a half hour discussion about love in that movie. Yes, I think the visual effects here are a little more seamless than in It's a Mad 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 World. Sort of. I suppose. I suppose. But just in this yeah. set piece, not everything else. Just this right. set piece. Right. But if we were to break down frame by frame this versus the fire engine, I'd find more innovation in the fire engine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and yeah. We even have a little clip of it in, uh, I work at the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures and in our visual effects room, there is a little clip of it talking about the guy who did it. But 
uh, yeah, but it's done, you know, a lot of it with models and things. And so, whereas this was on a set, you know, with yeah. people and yeah. And, you, and you're yeah. kind of like, you're, you're throwing stunt men into this more yes. often than not. And that's kind of yes. like the one thing that between this and George Washington slept here, Jack has a lot of weird last rounds of his film career involving stunt men. Yeah. And the problem that I have with this is that these stunt men don't have his build. And I don't know right. what the answer is to re- to fix that because yeah, you're you're be hard pressed to find a stuntman with the same build as Jack that's gonna pull off the same physicality, and right, right, like you've seen George Washington slept here when he goes up the stairs for that long one shot that Keeley does, it's a guy with bigger, broader shoulders, and then what falls through the flooring of the house is Jack. So like, right, it's just a weird mishmash here though. They they up the ante with like everybody getting stunt doubles and creating a human ladder like a chain ladder, right. swinging yeah. off of the edge of this building, swinging and climbing up each other, falling down again. Like yeah, and you, I mean it, you hear Jack going like, "I got a chief, I got a chief." <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean it's good fun. It's not well done, but it's good fun. Yeah, know? and so like and then but this is where we get like the, the I feel like this is like the the biggest fuck you I've ever felt in golden age Hollywood history, technically, but I love it. (laughs) I love it to death, Cheryl, because (laughs) Jack gets up to the top tippy top edge of this coffee cup, goes to blow the horn and just falls. He just falls. He can't, he can't do it. And and I don't, I want to stop for one second though. When he's in the coffee cup and the coffee is pouring onto him again, I think we have one of the best written lines in the movie where he says, Hey, I'm getting wet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is that dialogue? You brought the, you, thank you for bringing the ADR up in this movie. There is a lot of ADR throughout the action sequences of this movie. Yes. Like, Hey, look, go of my hand. Like, they, 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 you have to imagine Jack going into the ADR room or whatever they were going to do backup sound for and doing those and going like, I'm getting wet. I'm getting wet. (laughs) And you can just, I can, you know what I can hear in that? I can hear internally somebody going, I'm never doing this again. I'm never doing this again. (laughs) Why am I even doing this dialogue? My God, this script is terrible. Fuck Jack Warner. (laughs) Fuck Jack Warner. Fuck Jack Warner. I and the, and part of like before we even get to the ending, let's talk about like what we've just all discussed is some of the most ridiculous nonsense that like yes. normally on this show we'll break a movie down for about like three and a half to four hours. I can't do that to you. I no, can't do that no. to me. Not don't do it to anyone. <laughs> we have to talk about moment by moment because there's no real cohesion to this plot. Right. Apart from the goal of the of the horn, which is flimsy. Yes. And also because after he falls and he, by the way, I love still frames of Jack falling down and looking happy, <laughs> like deliriously happy. When you freeze frame it, he's smiling because he's, it's clearly an outtake that somebody right. just stuck in there because it was the best take they had or the cleanest gate imaginable. And then like, oh, and they also has a gag where like there's he see the people swinging around out. You have a person in like a little hotel room or whatever. Or yeah, hotel room. They see the people swinging and it's a guy who just decides that's when I'm going to give up drinking. 
And right, I, of I, course, your classic. I, I, yeah. Oh, God, I'm a sucker for those gags. I love them. Yeah. It's just like, well, that's enough of the bottle for me. Fun fact, that's there. how I got sober. I saw a human chain of people <laughs> dangling off of a building, and I said, well, alcoholism's done. I've been clean for three months. I mean, three, I've, I've been clean for three years and six months now because of that. <laughs> It's, thank you, human chain of people. Yes, thank you, human chain of people. It needs to go to every AA place imaginable. Um, but no, um, we transition back to Truman Bradley, by the way. Truman Bradley playing the radio announcer. He was an yes. announcer for Burns and Allen back in the uh, 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 Heinz Honey and Almond Cream and the Hormel and Spam years before they became a husband and wife sitcom team. Prior right. to that, they were just going off of like the... Boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe dating, maybe not. Maybe we're just right. work buddies fr- kind of frame of mind. We go back to Drew, Truman Bradley because it was all just a fucking dream. Of course. We just we're back in the radio studio. Jack wakes up from the dream and he says, you know, you if you ever saw it in the movies, you wouldn't believe it. And then he just right. plays the trumpet at the end. And I think I think it's probably my like you come back to the studio and literally everyone is asleep. Everyone in the orchestra is asleep. And of course, then the announcer says, you wake up. And that's when Jack wakes up. And it's probably my but the biggest laugh for me is when (laughs) simple, basic physical comedy. Jack just wakes up, falls chair and all straight off of the platform he's on. But and then, yes, yes. If you. Yeah. uh, Elizabeth, I just had the craziest dream. (laughs) You know, if you ever saw it in the movies, you'd never believe it. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, really? Is that really? I, it's, <laughs> and then it just ends. <laughs> there, there's going to be something that I'm going to bring up in a moment here that will make sense to us and <laughs> provide a lot of clarity. But I will point out that you talked about like that being like their favorite moment with Jack where you laugh. Right. My favorite one doesn't have to do with Jack. Although it kind of does. It's when the chief is showing them the job that they're going to do down on Earth. And they have a little spinning ball. And he's like, not a bad planet at that. I believe it has a name. And Elizabeth goes, oh, that's the planet Earth, sir. (laughs) The (laughs) delivery of her saying that so sincerely. Right. This is a woman who was in a Charles Boyer movie not too long prior. (laughs) Well, and her saying that instantly made me think of uh, uh, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Yes, 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 yes. And yes. It's, there's, a, there's a theater here where I live uh, that does an annual stage version of that movie, and it's hilarious. And they always say Earth. So I, that's, where, that's where my head went instantly. Yeah. Is, yeah. I and, believe they call it the Earth. Yeah, and then <laughs> I think the line uh, that they talk about it, like it was a rush job, just uh, six days, wasn't right. it? <laughs> like, yes, yeah. <laughs> It's just like it it just absolutely floors me that this movie was made. But if I can provide some clarity, two points that I would like to bring up to the audience. First of all, this isn't oddly enough, this isn't the most insane movie Jack's made. <laughs> because he did make a movie called College Holiday in nineteen thirty six, which has a chief plot point of eugenics stuck in the middle of this comedy. Oh. Um the idea the idea inherent in Buck Benny Rides Again is all sorts of kind of ridiculous, but it works in Jack's world. Right. Um, there is uh, a sense of 
some comedies out of this era going with big set pieces. The big store with the Marx Brothers is incredibly flawed because of that final set piece where you have the Marx Brothers on roller skates and trying to snatch the the camera with the gun in it and all that stuff. Like it's these set pieces get crazier and crazier because they feel that that's the way to sell a comedy to a wartime audience in particular, give them a big chunk of everything you'd want. And the other part of this, that floors, it floored me to discover this today because there was some of this research that I did prior. And then there's some stuff that I did last minute. And so Jimmy Fiddler was a columnist of the era uh, one of many, like Luella Parsons, Hedda Hopper, um, mm-hmm. and Walter Winchell. I found this through the South Bend, Indiana Tribune, where Jimmy Fiddler's column was basically uh, syndicated. On May 8th, 1945, insiders claimed that Jack Benny convinced the Hornblows at midnight would ruin his career, offered Warner Brothers $500,000 to shelve it. If Ooh. true... Benny must be enjoying a pleasant surprise from the warm reception accorded by the picture by fans. That last sentence sounds like a plant. But but second of all, $500,000 is not a small chunk of change. No. Jack, if that's true, Jack did not want this movie out there. (laughs) He really didn't want it out there. And that makes a lot of sense with what he does afterwards on his radio show. Right. There is a slew of reviews from the era, specifically from outside sources that I found to be quite interesting. The The consensus is that this movie is just light, frothy entertainment, but I don't think anybody has any ill-conceived notion of what this is. Um, from Eleanor Wilson in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, we have one of the most amusing sequences is one in which Benny tries out for a job with a swing band. The picture is ridiculous and makes no pretensions of having a message to tell, but it's a lot of fun and Benny is good enough to satisfy his fans. So, like, that's an ex- enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, fair. Like, you, you, you did yeah. the job. You move along. I mean, like... Uh, uh, the, this one from the Boston Globe. Much of the comedy in this fantasy of an angel's mission to destroy the world by blowing a trumpet exactly at midnight centers around the irony of the earthbound people, such as uh, earthbound people's plans for the future. Gags, gags such as "You should live so long" help to liven the dialogue and frantic scenes of people hanging onto the edge of a penthouse roof for a few minutes before midnight adds a certain modicum of suspense to the action. But the film moves at too leisurely a pace to achieve hilarious results. This movie kind of does linger around in places where it oh, wants sure. to. Sure, sure. It is not a tight movie at all. No. <laughs> it just sort of does some stuff and, you know, whatever. It, it, it's, it's, like, <laughs> it's like almost episodic, but it wants to be something bigger than what it is. Right. And like, right. and I don't, I don't want to like, I'm, I'm not, I would never want to be like, like hard on the movie, but like, you know, this one coming from the Richmond newsletterer kind of sums up how I feel about it. The gags are old. The slapstick comedy has been borrowed from everywhere. The situation is not too new. But the ho- but a horn blows at midnight. They got the title wrong in this. <laughs> they said a horn blows at midnight. Has Jack Benny in an amusing fantasy, and he never does get to blow his Judgment Day blast. He merely wakes up. So they spoiled the movie in this review. <laughs> spoiled no the movie. spoiler alert or anything. They were just... <laughs> Will... 
it's just Will, like like a review. So this must have been a a, a letter to the editor review because right. That is just flat out going like, look, guys, I'm going to save you a nickel. You right. have to <laughs> Don't go. Don't waste your hard-earned nickel. There yeah. are other movies coming out in 1945 <laughs> that are 10 times much more worth your time. I Right. Now, the reception of this film, though, the box office on it, I wasn't able to find any firm stats. What I will tell you, though, is, is that the modern reception of this film has outlived that critical. First of all, the one figure that I found that I couldn't fully confirm is that this movie earned $895,000 domestically mm. with $75,000 in foreign box office, which I understand those numbers being low because they just came out of a war. Every territory that would have right. gotten this movie was coming out of a war. Right. I don't know if this helped, but <laughs> the but I would want to know what the budget was to compare that to. Yeah, because between delays from flu epidemic, Benny's European tours and constant revisions. And there is a story about not knowing whether or not because of those delays from his touring, if the original cast would be available for reshoots. Guy Kibbe came from New York, so they would have had to transplant him back. So more than likely they paid for him to come back. So, yeah. This film currently has 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I was pretty surprised by that. That uh, Yeah, 67% tomato meter, 64% audience score, which I would have expected it to be much lower than that. So I was like, oh, it's actually okay. <laughs> now, but this is coming out of 12 votes. This is 12 yes. reviews. The audience score, yeah. which is 100 plus people, has it at 64, so it's not that off. Yeah. Yeah. Like we have That's what surprised me. Yeah. Now we have we have to bring up one review though from the retro end, Bosley Crowther of the New York Times. For once, I think he and I are going to be on the same page. <laughs> and for for those who don't know, Bosley Crowther and I don't see eye to eye on much. And it seems like he didn't see eye to eye with a lot of things that are just normal. But Regardless, he said a little bit of Jack Benny usually goes a long way, long, long way, at least the estimations of some of us hard bitten folks. But a whole lot of Mr. Benny doesn't go very far in the horn in the horn blows at midnight, which came to the strand yesterday. Perhaps that's because Benny seems to have put on the brakes or perhaps it's because a rather thick script has been put on for him. Anyhow, the comic distance covered in this clearly labeled or labored show can be measured by half a dozen chuckles and maybe three or four bona fide laughs. The idea is that Mr. Benny is a trumpeter in a band which plays on a radio program advertising a coffee that makes you sleep. The script is neither satire nor good, fresh, fanciful corn. It is a batch of old-fashioned nonsense put together without distinct charm. And Mr. Benny rambles through it with a lackadaisical air, punctuated occasionally by astonished expressions and yelps. Reginald Garner, Alan Joslin, and John Alexander give some fine, give some farcical support, and beauty is represented by Alex, Alexis Smith and Dor- Dolores Moran. Humor, however, is deficient, except in occasional low forms." Yeah, it's pretty it's, accurate. You know, it, it is accurate. What's more, though, Jack was right. In a lot of ways, I'm not going to like speak to like never wanting to see this movie in existence, oh. but it makes sense you'd want to pay $500,000 for this movie to be erased. Yeah, in, in the career that he had, yeah, this 
this doesn't really fit at all. No. And it, and wasn't going to do him any favors. <laughs> and it, it, it behooves me to say that, like, this is technically the end of Jack's career with the exception of making a producing a film called the lucky stiff which i still have never seen but he's just the producer on it he's in one of the radio shows he's like i'm the one who put up the money and phil harris can't believe it so he goes to call somebody about a scoop um (laughs) which is a good gag yes of course but the the horn blows at midnight does get reworked into an episode of ford's theater with claude rains playing the chief which i have a surprise for the ballyhoo audience I don't normally do this, but this is also going to be a secret radio review. I didn't give this to Cheryl, so she's not required to do this homework. But after <laughs> this episode is done, I will play for you the Ford's Theater broadcast of Ooh. The Horn Blows at Midnight. And you guys will get to hear the radio version of it so that you can at least get a sense of what Cheryl and I have been talking about. Um, is it is it still done as a comedy? I mean, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. it is. Yeah, it's. There's. I could, I could see turning this into a drama. Yeah, like you, an apocalyptic drama, and I and I think if they had just done a couple more rewrites, you know, they could have gotten this to someplace good. Yeah. No. The the one key thing about it is that there do there does there is a moral center to it. This right. one does yes. deal with him going down to destroy Earth, but they take away the bookend. Yeah. They take yeah. away the bookend. And there's a dilemma about the people coming out of World War II. Do they deserve to be extinguished or do they get another chance? Right. So you'll get a a sense of what this script was able to be used for afterwards. Right. But – and it's been a while since I've listened to it. So I'm going to be – I'm going to love listening to it in the edit so that you guys can hear what this represents. But also if you – we're lucky enough to get the Jack Benny Lost Programs DVD from Shout Factory. You would have received an omnibus bonus disc, which contains a live television adaptation for Omnibus that was done mm-hmm. in 1953 with Dorothy Malone as Elizabeth. Um, and beyond that, though, the legacy of this movie has been the butt of a joke. Yes. Jack used. every opportunity in the world to make fun of this movie to find some kind of comedy capital out of it. Yeah. Years later, there are documentaries like Jack Benny comedy in bloom or the A&E biography where they have people talking about this film and you have people like dinosaur going like, yeah, I saw the horn blows at midnight and it's uh, just about as bad as they said it was. (laughs) Now, I think that we can agree, though, even though this movie is absolutely ridiculous, that's within the context of talking about it on a podcast. This movie's right. still fun to watch. Yes, absolutely. I still enjoy this movie. It's it's really terrible, and I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> and there are always movies like that, right? It's not just this. We all have our terrible movies that we love. Yeah. For whatever reason, Jack Benny's in it. I love it. Right. And it has that awesome set piece yeah. that I just can't get enough of. Yeah. And I think <laughs> that like when, when we're talking about like, how does this play into the pop culture we see today? I think what we're really talking about is the art of bad movies. We're talking yeah. about an art form that I think has become a little bit more recognized. Thanks to things like mystery science theater. Right. And riff tracks giving an exposure point to this. Now, that does come with the complicated discussion of are we mocking these directors or are we celebrating their art? 
I like to think we're celebrating the art because no one would take the time to do anything with that material if there wasn't something about it that compelled them, whether it's it's yeah, terribleness yeah. or just something very goofy about it. Um, right. And I, and I mean, any movie like this, the people who go into making it do it with the best of intentions. They think they are going to make something reasonably good, even if they look at that script and say, well, this is really terrible, but we can make it work on the strength of the actor's character on, you know, we'll, we'll put something together that's good. It's enjoyable, which they have even in its madness. Right. So yeah. there's something to be admired in that too. They tried. <laughs> yeah. it they, they do try. And that's the thing. Like, I think that like, I know Jack didn't like this movie. It's very clear. Right. It's very clear. He is fed up with it. And, and part of this, ends on a sad note because Jack Jack is still signed to a contract at Warner Brothers. Right. He doesn't exercise anything in his option. Yeah. He doesn't do he, he will pursue properties and then back out. Mm. So he won't go back down this road. Right. I think that combined with the on the oncoming of television and what he knew he was good at in the ra- on the radio Right. Jack had no reason to take that risk again until later in life when he's wanting to kind of move away from comedy. He's willing to try something like the Sunshine Boys, which would have been the last one before a series of concerts were it not for his death in 1974. Right. Which, as we all know, leads to George taking the role. Um, Right. But Erskine Johnson is another Hollywood columnist, and he wrote what is probably the only behind the scenes coverage of this movie cheryl before we leave today would you like to hear a little bit of this sure because this is this is crazy this comes from february 2nd of 1944 heaven isn't all that it's cracked up to be jack benny said he was having trouble he complained keeping his white robes clean a man with a bottle of cleaning fluid to had to follow him around those gold sandals were breaking down his arches. Lugging a trumpet around all the time was very bothersome, too. The heavenly hours were too long, and he just didn't feel like an angel, Jack said, since the studio wardrobe department clipped his wings. All this in heaven, too. It's too much, Jack groaned. The picture is the horn blows at midnight. The three principal angels, Benny, Smith, Guy Kibbe, played their first scene together, and their wings got in each other's way. In the middle of the third take, the tip of Alexis's wings stuck Benny right in the eye, and director <laughs> Wal Walsh, who, by the way, had an eye patch, uh, director <laughs> Wal Walsh stopped the scene. Finally, somebody came up with the idea of angels wearing wings like the boys in the Air Corps do. So they clipped the wings in the on the angels and sewed on a pair of bright red cloth wings on their white robes. Since then, life in heaven has run much more smoothly. The Horn Blows at Midnight is a comedy about an angel sent to destroy the earth. Angel Benny is elected for the job. He is given a trumpet at midnight. Then he is shoved into an elevator and spit down, spit down second, uh, seconds later to Fifth Avenue. From then on, everybody hopes there will be lots of laughs. Benny, you see, has been an angel for a couple thousand years, and things on Earth have sort of changed. He loses the instruction book, gets mixed up with a beautiful girl, and a couple of fallen angels know the secret of the trumpet and will eventually try to steal it. Jimmy Kern, who wrote the script with Sid and Hellman, was much more enthusiastic about it than Benny, who is a natural warrior. 
it's tailored for Jack, Kern said. That one scene where he goes to a restaurant and orders a lot of stuff he's never eaten will be terrific. We had to admit it was a very funny scene. Knowing nothing about earthly food, Benny first orders the banana split and then goes proceeds to eat order all those things. But getting back to heaven, we noticed a large panel of photographs identified as fallen angels. Alexis explains to Jack, fallen angels can never come back here, and there's only one other place for them to go. That's another thing. They talk. They can't mention the word hell, so they have to just go, oh, oh. <laughs> the photographs director Raoul Walsh pointed out were all of people on the set, hairdressers, cameramen, carpenters, etc. Everybody got slandered by this movie. There is even a photograph of Walsh. Having once been sued by using in a movie the telephone number of a guy in Milwaukee, Warner Brothers Studios <laughs> takes no more chances. They'd probably be good grounds for a suit at that if a model in New York or a politician in Oregon recognized his photograph playing a fallen angel on screen. We were surprised, though, that Benny, as a gag, hadn't slipped into a photograph of Fred Allen as one of the fallen angels. What? <laughs> what? groaned Jack. And let that guy steal a laugh? I've got enough worries. As a matter of fact, Jack Benny seemed to be a very unhappy angel. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Unfortunately, yes. Sounds like start to finish, this was just not a good experience for him. No, but I will tell you that if, in the in the terms of a long-lasting leg legacy of bad movies or cheesy movies, the great winner Malton did point out, this movie is a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. That was one of the most heartening things I heard at that Benny panel, was listening yeah. to him just have fun with it. Yes, yes. You can tell that this movie, if you show it to somebody and just tell them to turn off everything, don't 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 expect an Oscar performance. Don't expect <laughs> an example of early cinema at its finest. Just watch this movie. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if your random best friend would have a lot of fun with this. Right. Just consider it a popcorn movie. We all watch popcorn movies these days still, like just things to sit down, eat your popcorn, let it wash over you. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And within that, that kind of wraps us up. And we've kind of talked about this movie for as long as the movie itself exists <laughs> at an hour and 17 minutes. And Perfect. I think that's an appropriate amount of time. I know that value yep. listeners might be a little bit saddened by the shorter time, but trust me on this. <laughs> Nothing that I would have been able to tell you about the plot or Cheryl would have been able to tell you about the plot would have mattered because it's right. seeing is believing with this movie. Yes, definitely. Um, but on that note, Cheryl, I want to thank you for coming by to talk about that. Well, with thank us you for inviting me. This is a film that we talked about years ago and bringing you back into that fold is a pleasure. I'd love to bring you back to actually talk about uh, the house at Cypress Canyon. Um, yeah, we do old time radio review on here where we break down oh, the history of the show. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We do film and we do film and radio. So yes, I would love that. We'll get that in the books, but I want yes. people to know where they can find you as of now and what to expect in the future. Remind them once again. Uh, all right. Uh, well, just generally, you can follow me across all social media at Speedway CJ. Uh, also, you can listen to five years of Movies Made Me, where I tasked my guests with talking about five movies and three other things that influenced them to be who they are. Uh, you can find that everywhere you listen to podcasts. 
Uh, and you can also hear me on It's On My List podcast, where we watch the movies you can't believe we've never seen. And that also is available pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts, I think. Uh, yeah. And then uh, if you're in L.A., come by the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures and pay me a visit there. Absolutely. And um, on a sentimental note, Cheryl, when you had me on your show, I was still drinking. Yeah. To be able to talk to you sober now is, and with three years and six months in my back pocket, that's kind of the best reward that I could possibly have for this show today. Well, it's really awesome for me to talk to you that way. You look fantastic. The second you came up on screen, I just thought, God, he looks great. So yeah, it's working for you. And uh, I'm really proud of you for, you know, everything. Yeah. And thank you. And more importantly, thank you for having a show like Movies Made Me exist because it it it's one of many examples that I was able to latch on to to tell myself I could do this and nice. to go it go about it my own way and I thank you eternally for that um sure and, i'm I'm glad to have had that effect yeah and this is gonna be the uh if for this episode of yesteryear Ballyhoo review you can find out more about us after our presentation of the Ford theater on the back half of the show um on the upcoming episodes. We are going to be doing a little bit more Jack. We're also going to be doing a little bit more World War II discussion. And please check out the YBR Presents channel for the ongoing discussion on the film works of Jacques Tati. The next episode that should be popping up will be the discussion on Mon Uncle. And then we'll be going through the other three films as well as his short films to talk about this mime-turned-filmmaker who indelibly changed the world of comedy. Um, but until all of that, and until next time, folks, good night, and then I will now take you to the Ford Theater with our magic radio dial. Here with Mr. Jack Benny in a highly unusual fantasy about an angel who was sent down from higher places to destroy the Earth, a story which contains more than first meets the ear. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Benley finally got here, and tonight we present him with Mr. Claude Rains in, of all things, The Horn Blows at Midnight. This is the Ford Theater. Welcome to a full hour of the finest dramatic entertainment with celebrated stars of Broadway and Hollywood. Presented by the Ford Motor Company, builder of Ford cars, Ford trucks and farm tractors, Lincoln and Mercury cars, including the new 1949 Lincoln Cosmopolitan, America's most distinctive fine car, unrivaled for superb performance and luxurious appointment. Now to introduce this evening's program, here is the director of the Ford Theater, Fletcher Markle. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, all disputes, all threats, pleadings, persuasions, and all kidding aside, we're proud and pleased to welcome to the Ford Theater one of the great comedians of the world, Mr. Jack Benny. <laughs> and co-starring with Mr. Benny in the long-heralded Horn Blows at Midnight, we're very happy to have with us one of the most accomplished actors of Broadway and Hollywood, Mr. Claude Rain. This is the second program, by the way, in our Festival of Smiles, which concludes next week with Mr. Bing Crosby. <laughs> The theme of the Warner Brothers picture on which tonight's broadcast is based caused much comment when it was released some seasons ago. Being a fantasy having to do with the destruction of the Earth, the picture clearly raised a controversial issue. And we of the Ford Theater firmly believe that while a radio version of The Horn Blows at Midnight will not end any arguments, it will at least add zest to them. 
So come with us beyond the Earth's atmosphere, uncounted light years through space, to a place very high above us. The office of the Chief of the Small Planet, an important executive in the system of the universe. You'll be hearing Claude Rains as the Chief, with Mr. Benny as a minor angel named Nathaniel. And, of course, any similarity between these characters and any characters living is quite impossible. <laughs> Mr. Benny, Mr. Rains, and company, please to begin. I tell you, something has to be done about it. Here it is, 1949, and that dreadful little planet is worse off than it ever was. What's the name of it again? Number 33974. It is called Earth. Oh, yes. Now it's a little globe. It's always giving me trouble, but now it's absolutely out of hand. Two world wars, persecution, hatred everywhere. Greed, intolerance, bloodshed. I'm just about fed up. What are you going to do, Chief? I'm going to destroy it, Horatio. I'm going to wipe it off the face of the... Uh, uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm going to destroy it. Without any warning? Well, the front office has warned them often enough. Quakes, floods, droughts, plagues, everything. But they pay no attention. Those Earth people aren't satisfied with making a mess of their own planet. Why, they're even working on rockets to get to the moon. So what do they want up there, Chief? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they're overloaded with the rich crackers and they believe that stuff about the moon being made of green cheese. <laughs> How about for Elizabeth, my secretary? I'm going to settle this once and for all. Mr. Rainsy? Yes, come in, Elizabeth. I want you to take down some notes. I'm destroying one of the smaller planets, and I want you to send copies to the recording angel. Uh-oh. What's the matter? It won't make a hit with the recording department. They're swamped with work. Oh, it's always something. What's their complaint? Same old thing. Shortage of angel power. I'm drawing up a new personnel questionnaire. Another one? <clears throat> More red tape. I never saw such incompetence, such inefficiency. You know, this place needs a few big businessmen to run things up here. We need them. And they better start letting them in. That's all I've got to say. What planet are you destroying, Chief? 33974. It's called Earth. Earth? Well, that was created rather hurriedly, as I remember. Yes, it was a six-day job. Practically <laughs> slapped together. Well, I'm going to slap it apart. How are you going to do it, Chief? Well, usually our demolition expert descends, blows his horn, and poof. Just... Poof? Well, for some of the larger jobs, it's poof, poof. <laughs> but this happens to be a one-poof planet. Anyway, our demolition expert is busy on another assignment, and I'll have to find someone else. Elizabeth, who would you suggest? What about a Samuel? A Samuel? That nincompoop, that blundering nitwit. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a nincompoop, and he's not a nitwit either. And you shouldn't call him those names, Chief. Remember, he's an angel. I'm an angel. I don't see how he ever got his wings. Elizabeth, what do you see in him anyway? Well, he's sweet and kind and understanding. And he plays the trumpet beautifully. That's right. He does play, doesn't he? He's in 455th trumpet in the Ethereal Philharmonic Orchestra for over 300 years. Then he certainly ought to be able to blow the horn. Go fetch him, Elizabeth. I will, Chief, immediately. He's rehearsing with the orchestra now. <laughs> Once again, gentlemen, and all together this time.
Step up here, please. Yes, Mr. Beethoven. <laughs> uh, what is it, sir? For 120 years, I've been conducting this orchestra. And for 120 years, you've been playing the wrong notes. Why? Tell me why. Well, it's, it's a hard number and it takes practice. I'm sure I'll get it if you'll just be patient a little while longer. A little while longer? Yeah, besides, what's the rush? We're not going anywhere. <laughs> what has that got to do with it? We've got 10,000 men in this orchestra, 9,999 musicians, and you. <laughs> huh? Why did you have to take up the trumpet? It looks like yours you should be a glass blower. A glass blower? Yeah, I tried that when I was on Earth. But one day, instead of blowing, I inhaled. <laughs> then I had to walk around with a sign on my back, Mark Fragile. <laughs> Look, Nathaniel, I don't care what happens to you on earth. I only care what happens to me up here. Now go back to your place and please don't be flat. Well, Mr. Beethoven, the music says be flat, doesn't it? That doesn't mean you should be flat. That means play be flat. Oh, well, I wish I'd have known that a hundred years ago. <laughs> Could have saved so much trouble. All right, Mr. Beethoven, I promise you. But... Huh? Oh, Elizabeth. I have wonderful news for you. The chief wants to see you. The chief? Is there something wrong? What I do now? Oh, Nathaniel, don't be silly. You couldn't do anything wrong. Oh, no? You don't think so? Stay around and listen to him play the trumpet. <laughs> Better he should have the mute in his mouth. I don't use a mute. I use a derby. <laughs> see, Elizabeth, I'm so excited. Imagine the chief wanting to see me. How do I look? Fine, fine. I'm so nervous. Is my halo on straight? Oh, it's perfect. Now, come on. Don't keep him waiting. All right. Will you excuse me, Mr. Beethoven? It's a pleasure. All right, gentlemen. Now we can play. <laughs> Elizabeth, it's been so long since I've seen the chief. I, I don't know how to act. Just be yourself, and don't let him frighten you. If he seems gruff, it's only because he's terribly busy, like all the other deputy chiefs. He has billions of small planets to look after. I know. What a job that must be, keeping them in their own orbit. Well, we're almost there, and I'm so nervous. Oh, Elizabeth! That's a beautiful horse, Mr. Revere rides. I wonder why he still carries those two lanterns. Uh, Daniel, you can ask him later. We haven't got time now. The chief is waiting. Oh. Uh... You may not realize it, but getting rid of the earth will be a big help in balancing the budget. Think of all the rain and snow we'll save. Yes, that is a nugget. And don't forget the thunder and lightning that little planet uses up. Why, we'll cut our electric bills in half. And, oh, uh, by the way, Horatio, remind me to talk to Halley about his comet. There's no point to it traveling around the earth anymore. Yes, Chief. Oh, here comes Elizabeth with a tango. Yeah, about time. Let him in. Here's a tango, Chief. Yeah, I know, I know. I hasn't changed a bit. Oh, well. A tango... How long have you been up here? Uh, 300 years, Chief. I'm from New Amsterdam, you know. Hmm. Hmm. What's your rank? Angel, junior grade, third phalanx, 15th cohort. Still <laughs> junior grade, eh? I don't know why I sent for you. Was it possibly about changing my rank, sir? No, no. I see no reason for demoting you. Thank you, Chief. I think going over your record, it is not too bad. It says here, deportment B, application B, virtue A, mentality. Well, this job doesn't require a genius anyway. <laughs> You'll do. Do what, sir? Do what? 
Destroy planet number 33974. 33974? Why, that's Earth, my home planet. What will all those people do without it? Where will they live? Well, some of them will come up here, and some of them will go to the other place. We have no time for sentiment. But, Chief, why are you destroying the Earth? Why? Simply because there's been nothing but trouble there. Now that the Second World War is over, it's in a bigger mess than it ever was. No peace, no harmony, no cooperation. If they want to end civilization, I'll end it for them. Elizabeth? Yes, Chief? Peter, the plan who wears his proper clothes, so visit to the Earth. You can attend to all that. Yes, I will, Chief. Kate, it'll be nice wearing buckled shoes and long stockings again. I still have good-looking legs, you know. Nathaniel, men's styles have changed on Earth since you were there 300 years ago. The hair? Women's, too? Oh, yes, many times. But now they have the new look, and they're right back to where they used to be. Oh. Well, don't men wear long stockings anymore? Oh, no. But don't worry, Nathaniel. Your knees will be covered. You wear long trousers. Why can't I just wear my toga? I'm so used to it now. Because, my dear Nathaniel, you don't, we don't want you to be conspicuous. You've got an important job to do. Oh. Well, Chief, how do I go about destroying the earth? Horatio, hammer that horn. Yes, Chief. Here you are, sir. Now, Nathaniel, you simply blow four notes of the Judgment Day Overture on this horn, and that will be the end of the earth. Gee, it's the most beautiful trumpet I've ever seen. It is not a trumpet. Oh. It's a very special kind of horn. Now listen carefully to these instructions. You'll proceed to New Amsterdam. It's called New York now, Chief. Oh, New York, then. Mercurius will arrange for your transportation. You will then check into the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel, and a few minutes before midnight, you will go to the roof. Yes, sir. Now, this is very important, Nathaniel. The horn must be blown at midnight sharp. Yes, sir. Remember, that means precisely 12. 11.59 won't do, 12.01 won't do. It must be 12 on the dot. Got that? Yes, sir. I'll see that the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> Leave it to me. All right, now get going. If you do a good job, when you come back, you may find yourself an angel senior grade. Me, an angel senior grade? Yeah, that means a raise in my base pay. God. But if you botch the job, you'll be back scrubbing clouds for the next 500 years. Yeah, I hope not. My knees are still wet. But don't worry, Chief. I won't botch it. I'll make good. That's the spirit. Now, are you ready to, uh... The interplanetary phone, Chief. Department of Small Planets. Chief speaking. This is the salvage department. Any instructions, Chief? Yes. Stand by to pick up a load of scrap at midnight. Hmm. That'll be all, Nathaniel. Are you sure you remember everything? Don't worry, Chief. I won't forget a thing. Goodbye. Wait a minute. Come back here. You forgot the horn. Oh, that's because I'm so excited. Well, goodbye, Chief. Goodbye. Elizabeth, you stay with him until he leaves. See that he gets away in time. Yes, Chief. Come along, Nathaniel. I'll walk you to the edge. <laughs> I'm going to miss you, Nathaniel. You are, Elizabeth? Yes. Well, I'll only be gone. Hello, Nathaniel. Oh, hello, Noah. You going away? Yes, but I'll be home tomorrow. Well, when you get back, drop in. I'm having a little gathering in the ark. In the ark? Mm -hmm. Oh, good, good. Who's coming over? Oh, just a few couples. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks very much. I'll see you later. Da-da-da-dee. What are we talking about, Elizabeth? I said that I was going to miss you. Oh, well, I'll only be gone one night, and then I, I'll come back, and we can spend the next hundred years together. Just talking about my trip. See, these earth flows are funny. What do you call this again? That's a vest. And is this a doublet? No, that's a coat. Oh. So what is this label? I wouldn't want to wear someone else's clothes. Poor Hart, Chesner, and Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Nathaniel. And by the way, I'd better give you some money. Here. What are these? Gilders? No, these are dollar bills. Oh. Well, I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> See, they feel nice and crispy. 
And these are five-dollar bills. Oh, I like these better. They feel even nicer and crispier. Look at the pictures on them. George is on one, and Abe is on the other. Yes. Yes, you'll need them, Nathaniel. And now you'd better go. I'm on my way, Elizabeth. Nathaniel! Nathaniel! That's the key. Clark, I hope he isn't calling me back. Nathaniel, I'm glad I caught you before you left. There's one very important thing I forgot to tell you. What is it, Chief? Before you blow that horn, be sure to check with the trailer. I don't want any trouble with him. <laughs> oh, I will, Chief. I will. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Goodbye. Watch that first step. It's a pit. I will. I will. See you tomorrow. You're listening to the Ford Theater, which tonight is bringing you Jack Benny, starring in The Horn Blows at Midnight with Claude Rain. A brief pause now before Act Two, and some timely hints on car values from Frank Martin. Now again, Fletcher Markle. And here's the second act of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny as a Samuel with Claude Rains as the chief of the small planet. Now, a Samuel having arrived in New York City, is strolling down Broadway with the horn tucked under his arm. Since it was 300 years ago that he last saw this famous street, it's small wonder that he marvels at the changes. So this is New York. I wonder why they changed the name. Look at that sign over there, baseball today. Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees. Well, I guess it does sound better than New Amsterdam Yankees. <laughs> Gosh, this place certainly is built up. I wish Peter Stuyvesant could see it. How they laugh when we bought Manhattan Island for $24. I bet we could double our money now. <laughs> My, what a big building. I never saw so many horseless carriages. Look at those yellow ones. See, they go around the corner and on two wheels. I wonder if they could... Get back on the cars, you dirty one of the kills! No, thank you, not again. <laughs> the records would be all mixed up. Before you cross the street. Light? Light to change? Yeah. You must be a stranger. Ain't you never been in New York before? Oh, yes, yes. I come from New York, but I've been away for a long time. Say, that's a good-looking trumpet you got there. Yeah. How about giving us a little bebop? Bebop? Yeah. That bebop-a-rebop. Bebop? Is that music? Is it? It's out of this world. Well, that's where I've been, and I've never heard of it. <laughs> Bebop-a-rebop. What band are you with? Uh, Beethoven's Ethereal Melodian. It's a very fine orchestra. 10,000 pieces. 10,000? Gee, they must sound louder than Spike Jones. Spike who? Jones. Didn't you ever hear him play All I Want for Christmas is my two front teeth? No, but it sounds like a very interesting selection. I'll suggest it to Mr. Beethoven. Beethoven, huh? Yes, I play 455th trumpet. I've been playing it for nearly 300 years. Johnny, this guy must be a little touch me. I got food for Uh, what's your name? Is he No, no, but I know him very well. <laughs> I, that guy went to his birthday party last month and he had the biggest cake. Took us two weeks to blow out the candles. <laughs> hey, Johnny, let's get out of here before the wagon backs. Yeah. <laughs> well, so long, Grandpa. Give my regards to Beethoven. I will, I will. <laughs> Look at him run away. 
They were nice youngsters, though. Well, people aren't so bad down here. My, the streets are certainly crowded here in New York. Look at all those men and women going into that theater. Hamlet by William Shakespeare. Good old Bill. What will I tell him about this? He'd be so happy to know he's finally got a hit. <laughs> Gee, look at all the saloons on this street. I wonder what kind of a drink television is. <laughs> I don't remember. It's that big bird going up there in the sky. So noisy, too. Selling out something. I.J. Fox. Must be a store up there. No, no, that would be impossible. Oh, yes. Well, I'll handle him, kid. Hey, you there. You the horn. Huh? Were you speaking to me? Yeah. Well, I understand you've been playing that trumpet you got there for the last 300 years. Yes, sir. I, I'm with Beethoven's ethereal melodeon. Oh, you are, eh? Well, what's your name? Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, exactly how old are you? The 355. Of course, I tell everyone up there that I'm... 339. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm really 355. Oh, oh. Naughty, naughty, you're a bad boy. Well, it's only a white lie. You know, I, I just can't get over how this town has changed, and the people, too. Where are the Indians? In Cleveland. Yeah, Bob Hope's got them now. <laughs> Bob Hope? Sure, the big radio comedian. Don't tell me you've never listened to Hope. No, what did he say? Hmm. <laughs> now, uh, would you mind if I ask oh, look. you... Look, I may be wrong, but I think that's the spot right there. Huh? The place where I was killed 300 years ago. You were what? I was killed here 300 years ago. I was run over by a cow. <laughs> I really was. A hit and move driver. Mr. <laughs> you know, Beethoven gets mad when I tell jokes like that. <laughs> but it was my own fault, you know. I shouldn't have been out so late. Yes, well, look, uh, uh, Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> look, Nathaniel, when did they let you out? A little while ago. Well, you're going back on it. Oh, of course. I just have to blow a few notes on this horn tonight, and then I'll return immediately. Well, why wait till tonight? Why not blow the horn now? Oh, I, I couldn't do that. You see, the chief said it wouldn't work unless it was exactly midnight on the dot. The chief said that, eh? Yes, sir. Oh. Well, I guess there's no harm in letting you run along. But you'll remember to go right home as soon as you blow, blow the bugle. Oh, yes, yes, I will. <laughs> I certainly will. Just as long as I blew it, I will. <laughs> Well, goodbye. I'll, uh, I'll see you later. Oh, no, you won't. If you've been good, I will. <laughs> goodbye. My, what a nice man. Step right inside the door here, folks. The auction is about to begin. 
Now, praise the happy in the hand of timepiece. That is acknowledged all over the civilized world as the finest example of watchmaking that human hands can create. My friends, just look at this one. Look at the solid 14-carat gold-type case. Gold-type case? The jewel die consisting of 24 genuine artificial diamonds. The real synthetic alligator strap fit for a king's wrist. Yeah. Ah, you like it, don't you? Well, I don't blame you, friends. Now, who'll start the bidding at $300? Hammer beat 300 300 300 Who'll say 300 $1. $1. I'll bid it out. All right, who'll make it a dollar and a half? My friends, the movement alone is worth that much. Who'll say a dollar and a half? A dollar and a half. A dollar and a half. Can anyone say a dollar and a half? I can say a dollar and a half. <laughs> a dollar and a half. See, I said it. <laughs> so, to the intelligent-looking man with the horn, for a dollar and a half. Congratulations, sir. Here you are. Thank you, sir. My friend, you have a watch there that will last you a hundred years. A hundred years? What will I do with it after that? Oh, well, I'll think of something. <laughs> I wonder where the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel is. That's where I have to go. I better ask someone. What's the get the pipers here? What's the read all about it? I beg your pardon, but I'm... A poiper? You want a poiper, mister? Poiper? <laughs> uh, what's a poiper? A paper. <laughs> no, no, thank you. But could you, uh, could you direct me to the Waldorf Biltmore Hotel? Oh, shiny, shiny. It's one block down and two blocks to the right. Thank you. I understand it's a lovely place. Headed back. <laughs> I wouldn't live nowhere else. Oh, then you live there? Sure, I got the penthouse there. I just sell these papers for a hobby. My dad owns the four-way coast tablet. Oh. <laughs> well, if you have the penthouse, we'll be neighbors. I'll see you over there. That is, if you get home before midnight. Well, thanks again. Goodbye. Goodbye. I don't know where they come from, but I always get them. Poipers, get your poipers here. Poipers. Da-da-da-ding. Da-da-da-ding. Yeah, it was nice of him to direct me to the hotel. The earth can't be so bad with people like him on it. I wonder if the chief isn't making a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't. Oh, oh, I didn't say it, chief. I was just thinking. It's just that it seems like a pity. I mean, there's so many nice... I'll do it. I'll do it, chief. Don't worry, I'll do it. You see, Elizabeth, he's weakening already. I told you he was the wrong one to send. But see, he'll do it. He said he would. He's on his way to the hotel now. I've got a good mind to recall him. Send someone I can rely on. Oh, please, Chief, don't do that. Nathaniel's all right. It's just that he has such a soft heart. Well, I should have sent an older angel. Nathaniel is only 339. Anyway, that's what he says. But please. How he got to look like that in only 339 years, I'll never know. <laughs> I'm worried, Elizabeth. Oh, why don't you wait and see? I'm sure everything will be all right. Better be. If that horn doesn't blow at midnight, I'll throw him out of the phalanx. So this is the Waldorf Biltmore. My, what a beautiful hotel. Sure is crowded, too. Paging Mr. Davis, Mr. Charles Davis. Paging Mr. Davis. Paging Mr. Caesar, Mr. Caesar, please. I'll take it, boy. Is that for Julia? No, sir. Irving. Oh, oh, I don't know. Paging <laughs> Mr. Caesar, Mr. Irving, Caesar. Oh, fiddlesticks. I want to ask him how to get to the roof. So near midnight. I'll ask that man at the desk. 
Boy, take this luggage up to 1023, huh? Oh, good evening, sir. Uh, good evening. Could you tell me how to get to the roof? Why, yes, sir. You take that last elevator. It's an express. Thank you. And uh, is that clock up there on the wall correct? Yes, sir. It's exactly 10 minutes before midnight. You're quite certain? Oh, yes, sir. The sun rises and sets by that clock. I'm afraid you've been misinformed, if you don't mind my saying so. See, the sun's movements are completely independent of this planet. However, I will accept the time as 11.51 p.m. Thank you very much. I'm sure Western Union will be deeply grateful. <laughs> oh, that is perfectly all right. Are you stopping at the hotel, sir? Yes, for a short time. You staying overnight? No, and neither are you. <laughs> well, goodbye. Going up? Yes, the roof, please. That's a lovely elevator you have here. Eh, when you've seen one, you've seen them all. I suppose so. Is your name Otis? <laughs> yeah, how'd you get? Otis J. Elevator, that's me. I'm pleased to meet you. I'm a Thaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. Why, it's nice in here, so intimate and cozy. Eh, it ain't so cozy when you have to stand in it all night long. All night long? Well, from six at night till two in the morning. Really? And I have good news for you. Tonight you're getting off at 12. Hey, that's funny. The chief didn't tell me anything about it. Well, he told me. Well, I hope you're right. Uh, here's the roof, sir. Thank you. Da-da-da-dee. da I wish I could get that right. Da-da-da-dee. What a beautiful sight up here on the roof. And all the stars are out tonight. There's Jupiter, Mercury, and Venus. Hello, Venus. Gee, she's pretty. Well, it's only five more minutes till midnight. Better get ready to blow the horn. Here's a good place to stand, right near the edge. I think I... What's that? Is someone there? Why, it's a girl. And she's crying. Uh, don't cry, miss. Whatever it is that's troubling you will be over very soon. It'll never be over. Never. Never. Oh, yes. Yes, it will. In just a couple of minutes. Please go away. Let me alone, can't you? But I assure you, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. He doesn't love me. He's sending me away. Well, I won't go back home. I won't. <laughs> you can't very well go back home if you're not alive. Not... Not alive. Yes, of course. That's the answer. The only answer. It's all clear now. Well, I'm very happy to have been a servant. <laughs> Less than two minutes left. I'll show him. I wonder what he'll say when I'm gone. Well, here goes. Goodbye, Andrew. Wait, wait, you mustn't. You mustn't jump. Let me go. Let me go. No, no, you can't. Why not? It was your idea. But suicide is a mortal sin. You let go of me. Be patient. Just a few more seconds. No, I won't be talked out of it. You gotta listen to me now. There's very little time. Hey, Peggy! Peggy! Andrew! <laughs> what? Who's this? Oh, Peggy, darling. Hey, you get your hands off my girl. Let go, me, Mr. Midnight. I've got to blow my horn. I ought to jam it down your throat. My horn? <laughs> oh, let him go, Andrew. Didn't do anything. Oh, Peggy, I've been such a fool. Can you ever forgive me? As soon as you left, I realized what a mistake I made. Oh, 
Oh, Peggy, I'll never let you go again, believe me. Well, let go of me, then, and put your arms around her. Please, Andrew, it's midnight. I've got to blow the horn. I'm so happy I could start crying all over again. Look, not tonight, baby. We're going to celebrate. Come on. Wait, wait, give me back my horn. Here you are, bud. Cat. I missed it. I missed it. The horn's all the way down the street. I won't have time to get it. What am I going to do? Now I'll never get to be an angel senior grade. What am I going to tell the chief? I couldn't help it, chief. I couldn't help it. Give me another chance. Please, chief. Please. Just one more chance. I want to be a senior. And that's Act Two of tonight's Ford Theater presentation of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny with Claude Rain. Time out again very briefly, and Frank Martin speaking for the Ford Motor Company. theater presentation of The Horn Blows at Midnight will be resumed after a brief pause for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Fletcher Markle again. Now for the third act of The Horn Blows at Midnight, starring Jack Benny as Nathaniel and Claude Rains as the Chief. Elizabeth, of all the angels who could have done the job, you had to recommend Nathaniel. But, Chief, it wasn't his fault. Nathaniel was only trying to stop that poor girl from committing suicide. A mortal sin. Well, that wasn't his job. He should have obeyed orders. There are too many people down there committing mortal sins. That's why Earth has to be destroyed. Please, Chief, give Nathaniel another chance. After all, you've only lost one day. I know, I know, but Nathaniel has botched up every assignment I ever gave him. Remember two months ago when I put him in the weather department? All he had to do was to see that the clouds went in the right direction. And what happened? He got the elements so mixed up it snowed in California. <laughs> Chief, that was an accident. After all, he was new on the job, and he just didn't know. Imagine snow in California. He knows very well it's not even supposed to rain there. <laughs> That's where we keep our smog. <laughs> no, Elizabeth, I have no alternative. Nathaniel must be recalled. Chief, if you recall Nathaniel now, you'll destroy all his confidence. He tried so hard to make good. He was so happy at the chance to become an angel, senior grade. If you take that chance away from him, you'll break his spirit. And that's all he's got left. Oh, be just a little more patient with him, won't you? Elizabeth, I don't know why I let you talk me into these things, but you always do. Then you'll give Nathaniel another chance? Oh, thank you, Chief, thank you. You're so good and kind, and he'll be so grateful. Well, you better blow that horn at midnight tonight, or else. And that's my last word. Elf. I'll thunder him his direction. <laughs> It certainly was nice of the chief to give me another chance. Lucky this horn didn't break when it hit the street. I'll just have to make good tonight. Let's see, there's still a little time before midnight. Guess I'll sit here in the lobby for a while. Certainly is a busy hotel. Hey, Miss 
Mr. Caesar, Mr. Irving Caesar, please. Hmm. Same one he paid yesterday. I'll have to ask Julius if he has any relatives down here. <laughs> Julius is so nice. I think Brutus was definitely out of line. <laughs> well, I got about 15 minutes yet. Yeah, I hope nothing goes wrong this time. Pardon me. May I sit down here? Oh, I certainly, certainly. There's plenty of room. Oh, thank you. Wait till I remove the horn. <laughs> There you are. Thank you. Isn't this a beautiful hotel? Yes, yes, it is. I've had such a busy day. And you know, in about an hour, the limousine is coming back for me. And I have to go to a midnight supper at the store club. Really? Yes. And then I'll have to go home and get some rest because tomorrow I have so much more to do. I'm going to Saks Fifth Avenue and buy a complete wardrobe for my trip to Honolulu. Oh, you're going to Honolulu? Oh, yes, I have to go. You see, I hit the giant jackpot on scene again, and I've been traveling ever since. <laughs> I, uh, I don't understand. And not what... only that, they painted my house inside and out, and it looks so strange now. Oh. I loved it the way it was. <laughs> Well, look, lady... I'm Mrs. Watson. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Watson? My name is Nathaniel. Nathaniel? A third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> oh, I've never been there. Oh, no, it isn't a place. Paging Jack Benny. Mr. Jack Benny, please. Paging Jack Benny. Uh, Mrs. Watson, what uh, I meant oh, to say... Oh, wait a Did you hear that? What? They're paging Jack Benny. Jack Benny? Yes. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard him on the radio? Well, well, no, no. Oh, I, I, I hope he's living in this hotel. I might see him. He's simply wonderful. <laughs> I listen to him every Sunday, even though I can't win anything. <laughs> oh, well, what does this... You know the thing I like about him? What? He pretends to be stingy and cheap. And I'm sure he's not that way at all. He, uh, he isn't? No, I can tell just by listening to him that he's the sweetest, kindest, and the most generous man in the whole world. Oh. Well, it's nice to know there are people like that. And you want to know something? I almost met him a year ago. You did? Yes, I did. He was the walking man. But they never called me on the phone. Oh, that's too bad. Well, I'll get to wait out in front of the hotel now. The limousine will be coming any minute. The limousine? Yes. Governor Dewey is the one who has to take me to the stork club. That's part of the jackpot. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, goodbye, Mrs. Watson. It was nice talking to you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Phalanx. Uh, no, no, no. It's a thank <laughs> Daniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Well, now, that was the sweetest old... Oh, my goodness. That nice old lady thinks she's going to Honolulu tomorrow. And I have to... Oh, no. Look, Elizabeth Wilkerson, the panel is weakening. Who cares whether anybody goes to Honolulu or not? He cares, Chief. He worries about everything. That's why he's so... so... Stupid. That's what he is. Stupid. I still say we sent the wrong angel. No, you didn't, Chief. He still has time. He'll go through with it. Then what's he sitting there for? Why doesn't he go up on the roof and get ready? Look, look what he's doing down there now. Biting his nails. 
Well, he's nervous. Nervous about what? Destroying one of our smallest planets? It's ridiculous. Well, warn him again, Chief, so he'll know it's almost midnight. All right, all right. I'll send him another thundergram. Yes, yes, Chief. I know. Well, I still got about seven minutes. Gee, I hope nothing goes wrong this time. Take you, Monsieur. Huh? Oh, oh, hello, little girl. Hello. Are you lost? No, Monsieur, I am not lost. Oh. Well, I thought the way you were looking at me, you you wanted to ask me something. No, no. You're sad, sitting here all by yourself. I am sad. Why, Monsieur? Because it's something I have to do at midnight. I'm worried about it. Well, you mustn't worry. My mother told me, even when we were in the camp, not to be sad, because someday everything would be all right. The, uh, the camp? You were in... A prison camp, monsieur, back in France. Oh. Oh, I see. Did you do something wrong? No, monsieur. Well, uh... Would you like a piece of my candy bar, monsieur? No, thank you. Although I haven't had a bite since I came down here. <laughs> Except my nails. <laughs> Please, take a bite of this chocolate bar. Well, thanks. Thanks. What's your name? Angelique. Angelique? That means little angel in French. Oui, monsieur. You know, I'm an angel, too. <laughs> I'm a big angel. You are? What's your name? Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. What's your cohort? I don't know. You make them from Oh, then you haven't been in this country long. No. We just came on the boat this morning from France. Oh, and did you say you were in a prison camp? Yes, me and my mama. For three whole years. Then the Americans came and got us out. Oh. Well, where's your mommy and your daddy? Well, my mama is right over there. But I don't know where my daddy is. He used to be a soldier. Oh. Oh, well, Angelique, how is it that you speak English so well? Mama's been teaching me a long time. Three whole years. Three years? I suppose that is quite a long time for a mortal. Especially such a small mortal. And you don't know where your father is? No, monsieur. But Mama said he was the most wonderful man in the world. And we're all going to be together again someday. Angelique? Angelique, it's Mama. Yeah. Oh, I was worried when I didn't see you. Oh, she's quite all right. We were just sitting here talking. He's a very nice man, Mama. Angelique, were you annoying this gentleman? Oh, no, 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 not at all. We had him such a nice chat, and Angelique was telling me what a wonderful man her father is, and you're all going to be together again. Is he in New York? Uh, no, monsieur. Angelique uh, would not understand, but he is... He's, well, he was a great hero. Oh, I see. And you just arrived from France this morning? Yes. Uh, tonight we are going to take the train to Chicago. We are going to live with relatives there. I have not seen them for over ten years. But they have asked us to come to them. Well, that would be nice. And your little girl can grow up in a good home like... Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What am I saying? You look sad again. Yes, yeah, I just remembered something. Mama, Mama, can I have another piece of candy? Are you neat? I'll just give you a whole bar. I know. But they offered to share it with this man. And he ate the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I just meant to take a bite. 
Here's some money. You can buy another bar right over there. Thank you, Mama. You know, Monsieur, Angelique does not know that her father is dead. Yes, I realize that. She's too young to understand. You see, she was just an infant when he was killed. Monsieur, you don't think there can be another war, do you? Well, not if I... No, I don't think so. Another war would mean the end of everything. There is not a country in the world that could go through it again. Not the way they fight wars now. People would just destroy each other. They would? Oh, yes, monsieur, yes. And yet it seems very simple for a lot of people to forget about a time of war. They do not want to remember. But we must remember, monsieur. All of us. And take care. Or we will die for it. Now it is time for people to get to know each other. Now it is time for people to come together in the world. But there's very little time left, you see. I know, monsieur. Oh. You do? Of course. If we do not change ourselves soon, it will be too late. Though the war is over, there is much still not settled. It may take five years or even ten years before we find the answer to real happiness and understanding. But we will find it, monsieur. We must now reach out to each other and find out about each other. By coming here, Angelique and I have a chance to do that. And we are grateful. We must find peace with each other, monsieur. Or we are lost. Yes, yes, I'm sure you're right. But you see... Mama, I have another candy bar. Would you like to share it with me, monsieur? No, no, thank you. I've, I've had enough. Well, come on, Angelique. We must go. Uh, goodbye, monsieur. Uh, monsieur... Nathaniel, third phalanx, 15th cohort. <laughs> Uh, goodbye, Angelique. Goodbye, monsieur. Goodbye. Hmm. What a cute little girl. Spent three years of her life in a prison camp. Now well, it's getting near midnight. Better take the elevator up to the roof. Going up, sir? Yes. Yes, the roof, please. Well, here's the roof, sir. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Well, it's almost midnight. I'm sure glad it's a nice night. The last one. Keep thinking about that little girl, Angelique and her mother. She seems so nice. All he wanted is a chance to live together in peace. Maybe most people are good. Maybe the war has been a lesson. If that's true, then the earth shouldn't be destroyed. Chief, do you think that I ought to be... But, Chief, you heard what she said, that little girl's mother. They've never had a chance before. Let them have it now. But, Chief, look, there must be millions of others just like them who need time to get to know each other. That's such hopes for the future. This is what Angelique's father gave his life for, to give other people a chance. And now you want to take it away from him. Chief, let's wait a while. Look, Chief, look. Suppose all these people down here don't get together. Suppose there is another war. And the whole world destroy itself. They'll blow the earth to pieces. And then remember, Chief, 
That would take the responsibility off your shoulders. You won't be to blame. See? <laughs> See what I mean, Chief? You've waited this long, thousands and thousands of years. What happens are waiting a little longer? Give them a chance. Maybe they'll get to work and live together in peace. Everything will straighten itself out, and it'll be the way you want it to be. What is that, Chief? Oh. Then I won't have to blow the horn? I'm glad you changed your mind. Well, I'd like to come back now, Chief. I'd like to see you and Elizabeth and Horatio. And I'd even like to see Mr. Beethoven, too, even though he does holler at me all the time. From now on, I'm going to practice real hard and make him proud of me. Thanks, Chief. I'll leave right now. Going down, Mr. Yes? Going down? No, thank you. Up. From the Ford Theater in Hollywood, you've just heard Mr. Jack Benny starring in The Horn Blows at Midnight. Tonight's version for listening was prepared by Hugh Wedlock and Howard Snyder, and the original musical score was composed and conducted by Cy Cure. The Ford Theater, a full hour of dramatic entertainment, is brought to you every Friday by the Ford Motor Company, builder of Lincoln and Mercury cars, Ford trucks and farm tractors, and the new 1949 Ford car, officially chosen as the fashion car of the year. It's Ford for the new look in styling, and it's Ford for the new feel in driving. Drive a Ford and feel the difference. Now again, Mr. Markle. May a director identify the principals in our cast tonight. In the foreground... The chief. ...was played, of course, by Mr. Claude Rains, who will soon be seen in the Hal Wallace production, Rope of Sand. Elizabeth. ...was played by Mercedes McCambridge. I hear it. ...was Anne Whitfield. I hear it, mother. ...was played by Jeanette Nolan. Mrs. Watson. ...was Jane Morgan. Mr. Beethoven. ...was Hans Conry. Jerry and Johnny. ...was played by Jerry Farber and Johnny McGovern. Actively assisting were Paul McVeigh, Miriam Wolfe, Eddie Marr, Joseph Kearns, Jay Novello, Julian Upton, Sidney Miller... Herb Vigran, Byron Kane, and uh, Shirley Mitchell. Anybody else? Yes, a fanio. Was played by Jack Benny. <laughs> Jack, I've uh, got a confession to make. What is it, Fletcher? After all the kidding we did on your program about the horn blows at midnight, I have to admit now that I never saw the picture. You didn't? I just couldn't bring myself to walk into the theater. Why? It's a complex I have, Jack, the fear of being alone. <laughs> Well, anyway, Fletcher, I want to tell you it was really nice doing this show for you tonight, and I promise you one thing. If I ever make another bad picture, you can have first crack at it. Thank you, Jack. By the way, just one more question before I give you your check. Oh, the check? Yes, yes. It, you know, it slipped my mind. Get your hand out of my pocket. Oh, oh. Yes, excuse me. What is it you wanted to ask me, Fletcher? Well, you always kid so much about your age. Tell me, Jack, and be on the level this time. How old are you, really? Fletcher... I'm 39. <laughs> so long, Fletcher. Goodbye, Jack, and see you again. You'll be listening to your regular program on CBS this coming Sunday night, and Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman will be your guest. Now it's the next week. Next week on the Ford Theater, we're going to have a story with music. 
Our star is Mr. Bing Crosby, and our story is one of his most recent films, Welcome Stranger. It's a pleasant portrait of a young doctor who goes to a small New England town so that the local physician can take his first vacation and then suddenly find himself an unwelcome stranger. We're very happy to have with Mr. Crosby Mr. Barry Fitzgerald playing his original role, and we'll be welcoming back Miss Anne Blythe for a return visit. We hope you'll be with us. And until next week, until Bing Crosby, Anne Blythe, and Barry Fitzgerald in Welcome Stranger, this is Fletcher Markle with a good night and thank you from all of us in the Ford Theater. <laughs> Close at Midnight was presented to the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of the Academy-nominated Johnny Belinda, starring Jane Wyman and Lou Ayers. The Ford Motor Company invites you to join us again next week at this hour to hear Bing Crosby, Barry Fitzgerald, and Anne Blythe starring in Welcome Stranger. This is Frank Martin speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. This concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Ballyhoo Review and on Instagram at Ballyhoo Review Pod. Our theme was composed by Matty Ghost. Be sure to check out more of his music on Twitch. Our announcer was Henry Jarvis. Look for him on the Real Nerds Podcast. This is Zach signing off. Stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification. beg your pardon, mister. Huh? I'm the manager of this theater. We've shown you the horn blows at midnight three times. Now, will you please go home so we can close up? <laughs> okay, okay. By the way, mister, the girl at the box office told me you haven't sold a ticket all week. That's quite true. Well, if that's true, how come there's someone sitting in almost every seat in this theater? We rent it out as a storage room to a mortuary. <laughs> All the people in those seats are... That's amazing. I'll say it's amazing. Yesterday, right in the middle of the picture, three of them got up and walked out. (laughs) Gee, I wondered why the guy at the door didn't tear my ticket.